3: To find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do, and more importantly, how you can help, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com.
0: This is New Orleans comic book writer Kurt Amaker, writer, rake, and rake tour, and you're listening to the Chronicles of Ghast.
1: you know what guys i'm not gonna dick around this week welcome to the chronicles of podcast it's the 47th edition and jamie i do believe it's the chronicles uh, of kurt amica you're damn skippy it is phenomenal let's drive to new orleans hit it
3: everybody and welcome to the 47th edition of the Chronicles of podcast and uh, <clears throat> these are the chronicles of Kurt Amaker. It is I the bearded brummy Jamie and joining me as always as always is this
1: handsome fellow over here looking and waving away What's going on guys, it's Scotsman Tom Jamie. Hello, sir. You know how we always talk about how the English language is a big pile of shit because there's so many words that sound the same but mean different things? Yes. I came up with a new one oh, by wow. accident. So, car keys and car key. <laughs> yeah. I've realised this because Karis is like, where's my car keys at? And I was like, do you mean your car keys or your car keys? <laughs> like, which ones are you after? She went, no, I know where my car keys are. Right, you're still not helping. <laughs> do you want you're trying to get into the car or your item of clothing oh no <laughs> i want my item of clothing but then i also want my car keys to get to the car <laughs> oh right so you want both of yeah but i was going car key. imagine if, if someone's trying to learn our language they're going car keys and car key it's it's nuts isn't it i've left my car keys in my car keys <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like oh absolutely that's a really bash. good point yeah yeah it was really blowing my mind but the one thing I really, really did want to talk about today, um, it's, more, it's quite a serious matter, but also a piss take as well. Huh? Who in the goddamn fuck <laughs> okay. buys T-shirts with I Licked it, It's Mine on, with six packs on, with FBI female body inspector on? All of you could get in the fucking bin. Who keeps his companies afloat to make these bullshit T-shirts? <laughs> Who buys that shit? Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's got a six pack on, mate, because I want to be buff in it. Yeah, but you're not. Yeah, but it's going to make me look buff in it. No. no. No, it's supposed to look like a twat. Like, <laughs> plus, the neckline is down by your collarbone. So that doesn't really <laughs> work straight away. And the abs are over your cock. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just looks ridiculous. And why has it got Samoan tribal tattoos on it? Like
3: just, Have you seen this recently? Is this part yeah. of this?
1: Okay. Yeah. So I saw a guy earlier wearing a t-shirt saying, "I licked it, it's mine." What the t-shirt? That's disgusting. What are you think clothing for? <laughs> like, I just don't understand <laughs> this mentality of, you know, what is he expecting? Someone to come over, be like, "Oh, really? A t-shirt? Oh, it's fucking banging that is." <laughs> yeah, but does that mean that you've licked it? So I'm yours. So if whatever you lick, does that make it yours? does is it? I just, oh, it's just cringe and horrible. <laughs>
3: you could just picture guys, Dave, Dave, look at my T-shirt, Dave. You can't see my
1: beer belly? I've got some abs on you, Dave. It, it literally is like the wife's let them out for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think so? Go on, honey, enjoy
3: your weekend with the lads.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, get some fucking beers in, mate. Look at these lovely birds. Hey. Pigeons, gonna... actually. <laughs> yeah, well, fuck it.
3: I'm going
1: to get oh. my FBI T-shirt. You know that one you only let me wear when I'm not around you? Female boobs or female body I'll oh, Get in the bin. No, it's no, so no, no. fucking horror. It's just cringy. I don't get how his cupboards get away making that shit. No. Oh, my days.
3: And no one's found anything like that genuinely funny since they're about 12 years old.
1: That's no, funny. I don't know why but that's, that's a cool idea. But, I, I mean, people can wear their, what they like, you know, but it, it's just okay. but messages, like that, messages like that. are just like this day and age as well. It's not good. It's not good. You're, a, you're probably a paedophile. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. I, I, I am I, joking. I can't remember the last time I saw an FBI female body investigator t T-shirt, to be fair. but just, it just yeah. because, It's because I remember that being a thing back in the day. So when I saw t T-shirt today, I was like, that's going to show.
3: I did want to bring something to the table this week as well. What's Do you remember that? when we were guesting on um, Talking Codswallop and I had that moment moaning about the English language because they're trying to teach my daughter? And yeah, side yes. letters. I didn't what one end today. The word "no," as in "I know things." Uh, okay. Whoever worked out the spelling for that word is complete bullshit, and I hate you because I'm like, you know this. This is how it's spelled. No, no, is spelled "no." Yeah, but it's got a k at the start. But no, but if you take the "k" off, it actually says "now." So where? How? What? Why is this word spelled like this? It makes no sense. Why well, are that letters a thing? I don't know. But I don't get it. Why is K N O W now? No. And not canal now. Why? Why? Do they just want to torture parents and teaching their children words?
1: But that'd be that'd be saying like, why is Gnome not GNOME? <laughs> Another very good point. Do you know what I mean? I just it's just how it's it's just how the language language is, mate.
3: It's bullshit. That's what it is. Um,
1: no, it's not. I'd rather I'd rather have canoe in there uh then lit then peng then well wow, that's peak. a fair point. That you know all this absolute bullshit slang words that now for some reason come out of absolutely nowhere. That might be because I'm 35 and I'm moaning and I'm cynical. Um I've no, found it's not words. They're I've not just words. found becoming 35. It's funny because Kerisman's hilarious. But I'm becoming I'm becoming so cynical it's insane. Like everything annoys me now. It's really weird. <laughs>
3: right i've had my birthday i fucking ate
1: everything i just i found myself to be a lot more outspoken about things now and a bit more um yeah i don't know if it's a good thing or not i'm not entirely sure uh i had a child i don't know if i can talk about it, so i won't go into too much detail at work i had a child okay basically
3: had a child
1: and he i was just i was doing this classes for him and uh he went, can I would a word your computer? I went, if you want, it's not going to post. It's not going to come up anywhere, but you're more than welcome to. And he went, he put, he was, he was nine by the way, he put P-I-S-S. And he went, what do you think of that? I was like, and then his sister, who was obviously younger, went, what did he say? What did he say? I was like, nothing to be, nothing to be uh, repeated. And he went, I put piss in his computer. Ha! <laughs> I was like, interesting. Okay. I decided to ignore it and carried on. Um, I then went to adjust and he, I could hear him tapping on the keyboard and I was just like, nothing's going to happen because it's numbers, it's not letters, so it's fine. Yeah. I came back and his mum was like, sit down, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I carried on and he literally, he went, so how was your diarrhoea? And I was like, well, luckily I haven't gotten it except you'd be in trouble. <laughs> um his mum laughed. And then he went, he, he literally leapt forward and went, could you hurry the fuck up, please? I haven't got all day. What? And I went, no, neither have I to be quite honest with you. So I purposefully slowed down. <laughs> I, went, I do, See so you i fine. You'll be here until I say you can go.
3: Wow. How did the mob not say anything to that?
1: She didn't. She just was like, oh, kids.
3: Oh, uh, oh get in the
1: bin, love. Discipline, your child. Oh. Uh, yeah, so I was just a bit like, oh, that's, that's how you want to play it, is it? Why well, I'm going to take shit off a nine-year-old. I don't... Oh, that's unbelievable. I could see why a nine-year-old
3: would find writing piss into a computer funny.
1: Maybe. Yeah, but then, you know, but I'm not going to start telling his younger sister how to say swear words. It's just no. not, my, it's not my place or, you know, something I want to get involved in. And then my colleague came over after, he was like, well, he's a bit of a character, wasn't he? And I was like, you could say that again.
3: <laughs> I can think of a different word to start to see to describe him. do in this situation.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. Now we don't call people carrots around here. It's just, no, uh, not, not carrots. Not carrots. They're not caricatures. They're not curtains. <laughs> caricatures. <laughs> anyway, how are you doing, my <laughs> friend? What's been going
3: on? I am very well. I'm quite. I kind of sound tired this week, to be fair, because I'm on nine fives. It's like a normal yeah, day. Working time. a normal yeah, shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. I'm not getting up stupidly early. I'm not working stupidly late. It's it's weird. I' be nice right. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm on a high because you know we've just done a superb interview, which my neck still hurts, which you'll find out in a few weeks what that means. But yeah, I'm I'm good, I'm good. We've friend.
1: been. I'm not going to lie to Jamie. I said in the trailer for for Keramika, which was just we have a knack, and with these have been great. Like you've got some serious, decent content coming up, guys. Like I can't stress if you're if you're an avid listener, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. The interview was actually set up tonight thanks to a listener. So, we, yeah. big, big, big fucking shout out. Thank you so much. It's incredible. Like, just giving us all the best interviews. We, I mean, I'll be honest, every interview is great. Everyone yeah. we have on is great. Like, just, we have so much fun. And that's why we do it, because we enjoy it. We enjoy entertaining the masses. Yeah, we
3: do. But anyway,
1: how are you? How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm okay. Um, I'm not too bad, actually. I'm just, I'm preparing myself, Jamie, because this is my last day off for a week. <laughs> so... I'm Earthpiece. literally like bracing myself uh for how busy it's gonna get and how fucking hot it's gonna get as well. So I'm in a way I'm kind of glad that I'm at work because obviously I live in a top floor flat on a riverside. So it's like it gets it gets hot in here, like it gets nelly hot in here. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: I, was, uh, I looked at the forecast yesterday, because obviously everyone knows
1: I'm doing my bike ride uh, next
3: weekend. it will be set on the 17th. So I was like, oh, let's see what the forecast is. 23 to 25 degrees. I'm going to be a puddle.
1: Wouldn't you rather have that, though, than rain?
3: Yeah, I was thinking uh, at least I could just wear shorts. and t- I've ordered a white T-shirt with a little for raising money for Sophie on it.
1: And I'm just going to cycle my ass. And it'd be breezy as well, I imagine, oh, because Yeah, so I'd actually think that's perfect conditions. I'm
3: actually quite happy with it. At the I same mean, time, I'm getting
1: a bit warm. On that subject, I just want to throw out a huge, massive thank you to absolutely everyone that has donated to Jamie, because, oh my ass, it's been going mental. <laughs> we are on the precipice. We're on the cusp of a grand, and yep. I can't believe that a small-time independent podcast like ours has raised that much money for them. A tenner is amazing. A tenner and 20 quid would have been incredible. But nearly a grand is unbelievable. I can't stress, especially with how the current climate is as well, how much I love and appreciate every single one of you that's donated to Jamie Cycle. Like, oh, my God. Obviously, I've not
3: raised a grand just for the cycle. That's overall on everything we've done. Well, no, but you're yeah. ne- I think
1: you're nearly yeah. nearing
3: £500 on your own. Uh, just over 350 at the moment.
1: Incredible. Unbelievable.
3: 500 is my goal. I want 500. That's what I'm aiming for. So come on, people. Even if it's just a pound, help me get to that goal.
1: Yeah, please go and donate. If you go to www.chroniclesofpodcast.com, hit the Sophie Lancaster Foundation tab up in the top right. It'll drop, there'll be a line just drop down, click Sophie Lancaster bit, scroll right to the bottom, hit just giving and give as much as you can. Like, seriously, get us to our target. That'll be unbelievable. Jamie's done an unbelievable job of fundraising. Uh, so, hopefully, he can smash the cycle next Sunday.
3: Yeah, I'm getting everything ready. I've ordered that t shirt, like I said. I've got a little thing to go on my handlebars to have my, my maps on the way. I'm, oh, I'm loving
1: it. It's going to be good. I look forward to the documentation, sir. Yes. Um, so, I suppose after the hard hitting crash of the week. How has your week been? What have you been doing with yourself?
3: It's been good. Like I said, I've been mostly been working, um, so not a lot to really have no happening at work. Um, Saw the kids on Sunday. We went to Pitville Park because nice. why not? Had a good day. It was really good fun actually. i was running around acting like idiots in a park as you do with kids. Good fun. Um, We've done free interviews. <laughs> yeah. And since we last recorded, we're, we're we're banking them up, kids. We're banking them up. Um. The most important thing that's happened in the last week though is uh, it's stranger things, isn't it? Let's be honest Mwah. the duffer brothers, if I could kiss you on the lips, I would because you've made me a very happy man, but then I found out we've got to wait till like twenty twenty four for the next season and now I don't
1: like you very much so. Well no, I think it's good because you don't want it to come to you know because otherwise you'd be complaining there's nothing left no, I know I' just
3: oh there's so many questions I want answered. But yeah,
1: we won't spoil anything because there might be the odd person
3: hasn't. I don't know how you could avoid any spoilers on the internet, but still, just phenomenal, phenomenal. And like literally, the day it came out, I turned around to the wife and I was like, "We're not waiting, we're watching this because it will get spoiled." Because you know what the internet's like. <laughs> so we literally we watched one episode before I we went to work, and then we came home and then watched the finale afterwards. So I think we stayed up like one a.m. making sure we watched it because I'm not waiting for anyone. Simple as that, really. Uh, other than that, watching-wise, I've kept been catching up on The Boys. I think there's like two episodes left, and I'm caught up. Superb. Such a good series. I'm loving the series. And I also watched a film. I've been meaning to watch for absolutely ages, called Spiral. Didn't okay. Did you know anything about it? Nope. It's it's basically, it's a spin-off of Saw. Uh, okay. And Chris Rock is the main character in it. Yeah, I Saw. I saw the trailer. I, did, I didn't know how to feel about this, because obviously, Chris Rock, you think comedy. But he's really good in it. Like he's completely serious. There's like a minute or two of comedy right at the start, and the rest of it is deadpan serious. And he's really good. Like I really enjoyed it a, a lot more than a would. The traps and stuff in it compared to Saw. Jesus Christ, the first one I was like, Argh. but the wife. I was watching it. The wife looked at and she's like, ah, I don't want to watch that. Some nasty, nasty traps in that film. It's yeah, I like horror, so I enjoyed that one. That was good. I know you don't like your horrors, do you? Yeah. But no, I enjoyed that. What about you? What have you been up to? Is that what you've done? Yeah, it's been a pretty quiet week. Oh, fair. Okay. I was expecting more. That's why I was like, oh, to me. Most of my week has been spent on here talking to you, interviewing people.
1: This is true. We have done three interviews and they have been absolutely amazing. One of them is obviously Mr. Kurt. i out, okay. Uh, kind is just coming to your ears in about 30, 40 minutes or so. Um, they've been great. They've been so great. Uh, and obviously, just the last, the third one, just before we came on to do this. Uh, and that's uh, that is a spicy meatball I can't wait to release that one <laughs> um, what have It's sort of been a lot of Rhianna in. Um well actually I don't really think I've been doing too much reannering. I've had, I've had quite a nice two days in one day off two days in one day off Ooh. so um, I've had two days in one day off today which is Wednesday recording now but now I'm in for a six seven day run so uh, a six day run I'm doing and my next day off is next Wednesday so uh, this is gonna be fun. Yeah. I'm bracing myself, I'm bracing myself for impact. Cheers, remember. Um, so it should be interesting. So I reckon next week I'm gonna be
2: fucked.
1: Uh yeah. I also have watched Strange Things. Uh, I couldn't wait any longer to uh get that watched. So uh we've did that. Um, me and Carrie stayed up to watch it. She had a really early start as well. She was working when did we watch it? She was working the Monday, I think. No, Monday night we watched it. So um she had the early start tuesday her. so she was quite tired oh, yeah. um it's her mum's birthday today so happy birthday desiree birthday! Uh, hope you had a great day um obviously this is a record on wednesday so wednesday was her birthday so um well, well i've been watching more final space again because i forgot i forgot all about it like i love oh, no, that I show as well.
2: that.
1: So i'm on series three uh, episode four uh, and it's incredible it's in David Tennant is just one of the best people on this planet. Um, so yeah, it's great. I've been watching that. I've been watching Disenchantment series two because I started it years ago. I forgot all about that as well.
3: Someone so, recommended that to me. Gemma
1: Williams messaged me. She's like, You need to watch disenchantment. So you well, like the Simpsons of Futurama, don't you? Because still oh, like yeah, Ma- so. Matt Groening So yeah, it's really, really good. The storyline's amazing. Uh so we're watching that again. Um, Orville watching the Orville. I bloody love that series on Disney Plus. Um, start that. Oh, it's, oh, you'll love it as well it's yeah. great it's so great I'm on series 3 episode 3 um, it's one a week so I'm, I tend to wait and let them back up and then watch the more than one go um, other than that man uh, I've not really been doing t- I've been playing a bit of Playstation because they've released that new PS Plus now where you can like, literally release PS1, PS2 and PS3 and PS4 games all available now so it's like nice. you just download them yeah it's great it's a hundred pounds a year, uh, but luckily I'm signed up till August anyway from last year, so I have full access until then. Oh, nice. So I'm like, download, download, <laughs> download. Like, <laughs> so I'm playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Spider Man Miles Morales, um, because oh, they're, they're free to play on there. So I was like, I'll make oh, that nice. cheers. Uh, and Siphon Filter from PS1, know if you remember that game, no, um, I never had a PS1. Ah, uh, and Odd world Abe's Odyssey. What a oh, game! What a game! Replay that again. Hello, hello. He he he. Um, so we're playing that, that, that again. Impression. It's great. It's so great. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I've been enjoying that thoroughly. other than that, man, like just doing a lot of relearnings honest. my exams, I've now completed my exams. Woo! So I'm now doing resubmissions. I think I have three. There's this five left. Recent, resub- three are under assessment and two are resubmissions so I'm almost I'm almost there almost on my first lot of uh, do course yeah. so yeah it's really exciting um, well done my friend thank you very much and they seem to be giving me a bit more responsibility uh, in the work sector now so uh, yeah fine. quite cool really enjoying it really 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 enjoying it love it
3: love it well we've caught up quite quickly this week so I think we need to check in. With these guys
1: enjoy the new drop. Stay cozy drop came uh, yesterday, I believe, Tuesday, the 5th of July. Uh, so go and head over to staycozyclothing.com. But you know what, guys, I'll let Braden explain it to you. Alright. Is this thing on? Well, howdy doody, everybody! Brayden Barry from Say We Can Fly,
3: founder of Stay Cozy Clothing. Your one-stop shop for the coziest, most fashionable hoodies,
1: t-shirts, and more. Gorsh, Mickey? That's right, folks. And we're proud to say that we are now sponsoring The Chronicles of Podcast. Ouch. Hosted by Tom and Jamie.
2: <laughs> like, you can get 10% off,
3: man! That's right, Shaggy! Just use the special code, TheChronicles, at check out. oh boy oh. Just incredible nude lines Last tom just said but we want you to go and check out There's a certain t-shirt on there we want you to all go and check out it says those three important words that relate to these guys that it says weirdo masha freak go and buy that t-shirt because you will notice on there that i believe it's 50 percent right. of the money made on that t-shirt is going straight to these guys and that is incredible to think these guys are supporting these guys. And yeah, that blows my mind. It's just phenomenal. It's
1: great. It is great. But the whole, the whole drop itself is, the whole is drop unbelievable. Studied. Like it's probably one of the best he's ever done, um, yeah. if I'm quite honest. Uh, but yeah, okay. the Sophie Lancaster T-shirt is, is incredible. There's a stakeholder's Sophie Lancaster T-shirt available now. Um, that? 50% of proceedings go to like as Foundation as Jamie just said so please go and grab it but go and grab everything I want to snap piece. back I need yeah, a new I, hat
3: I saw those and I instantly
1: thought of you I need a new hat so you know I'm yes. going to get myself a new hat
3: yeah, there's so many T-shirts and hoodies I want. I sent the link to the wife and she's like, I want, I want, I want that. I sent the link to Claire. She's like, I want that. Like, yeah. I, want, I want the Stranger Things one.
1: They're like, oh. Well, go on to yourself. Stay Cozy Clothing. Go and use that, that code, The Chronicles, at checkout and get yourself 10% off, 10%. guys. Go on. Off you go. i got going. It now. If you want it, go do it now. And Jamie, while they're doing that, it's time for Callum's Street Chains.
0: Yeah, it is. <laughs> you want to know something callum
1: will be able to tell you and callum's treachings it's cereal soup so as you will see okay callum sent me the treachings over and then he sent me a photo which after the treach we will put up for reference okay so that everybody can also see what the fuck yeah,
3: I'm glad you're, exp- you're explaining this to me live, on know. You just sent this picture, and I was
1: like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Jamie accused me of watching the Treachings before we even got to the show. I was like, I I'm did. not watching them. I was them. confused. Callum sent me a photo. So, let's get started, shall we? Less. What is Callum Treachingers? This week. Apologies for the unfamiliar setting. Um, I'm filming these from work, so... Uh, trying to to get them into Tom as quickly as I can. Uh, Your first teaching today is, the bigger your thighs are, the more puppies you can fit on your lap. And I've got quite big thighs, so...
3: (laughs) I mean, yeah, technically there is more surface area. What, have you seen the size of them? But I was going to say, there ain't no way any puppy is going to get comfortable on them beasts. Jesus Christ, Callum.
1: Hopefully, crack a
3: walnut, crack a fucking head.
1: Hopefully all you guys enjoyed that photo that uh, just came up on the screen there. That is, I I'm don't f- think I've ever seen anything like it. I'm moist. Like, it's, it's incredible. Do you, like, do, you do concern me sometimes, <laughs> uh, if I'm
3: part um I Why do I really want to see him crack a walnut?
1: I, I think we need to have a serious conversation. this. <laughs> If I'm really asking you, Jamie Westwood, uh, you've referenced a lot of kissing males and now wanted to see a male crush fruit between his loins. Um, yes, yeah, I know. We, will, we will definitely uh, need to have a conversation. Uh, but yes, uh, yes, you could fit many a puppy because they'll be able to, they'll all stand there and wag their tails and get excited. And then they'll all like back up with themselves. And it'll be like a cute little cluster on both you sides. Be- I reckon you could fit about 12, maybe 14 of them. I want to know if he's tried.
3: Like, I want to know if he's actually sat there and counted how many puppies he can put on his lap.
1: Callum, next week, you need to show us a photo of you with puppies on your thighs. And I also want to know,
3: was this treat made just so you could show the world your thighs because they look incredible?
1: I think uh, the boy has done well. Like... <laughs> I'm fucking proud of these. Knowing Callum for the last seven years it's
3: nothing like
1: It's like just... It's just am- amazing how far he's come and the work he's done, and like, he deserves it. So Does, he looks phenomenal. Fair play, like Cal. Yeah. I'm proud. <laughs> of, I'm proud of you because that is is amazing. And for a first reach to be quite so serious and uh, loving and everything else is yeah, it's phenomenal. Fair play, my friend. Fair play. I could dream of that one day. Hopefully, but but I'll never. Be.
3: I did not have that discipline. <laughs>
1: Fair fucking place there. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, What else is Callum Trichinger's this week? By being pessimistic, you're either always right or pleasantly surprised. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Pretty (laughs) much. Yeah. I, there's not a lot I can really say on that because to be honest with you Callum I think you just, you've nailed that's a hole in one and make, what said. makes
3: it funny is because at the start of this episode you are like now I'm 35 I'm
1: incredibly fucking pessimistic so it's just, just treaching your life yeah it's in my head get out of my head get out of my head you bastard
2: <laughs> I, like, I like
1: that it's really good I know that I was just fucking oh actually oh, it's not
3: it's alright yeah. yeah. I wasn't expecting that I'm <surprised>.
1: I was expecting the worst. Although well, I, um, I saw I saw, on Twitter one of the podcasts that we follow uh, put a post up saying, Resident Evil movie, Welcome to Raccoon City, between 1 to 10, how would you rate it? And people were like, oh yeah, as, an, as a massive original fan of Resident Evil, this is really great, yeah, 7 out of 10, yeah, it's really good. And I was like, I had way too high expectations for this, 2.5 out of 10. I'm a massive Resident Evil fan. I have been since the game began when I was an 11-year-old kid being to my dad. I can watch it, it's fine. my dad going, it's your funeral. And as soon as that first zombie turned around, I went, ah! And ran out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, but ever since I could play the games and not shit my pants, I love Resident Evil. I always have. There's a new series coming next week, I think, on Netflix I'm really looking forward to. Um, So, yeah, really looking forward to that. Um, and the anime movies they've done and everything, I love... They're all great. They're all phenomenal. Um, so, yeah. Just but, Hollywood
3: needs to leave it the fuck alone,
1: basically. Oh, yeah, because it's so, it's so easy to make a great movie. Just follow the game. Don't make your own interpretation. Just follow the fucking game. Yeah, I was going to say, they were hugely successful. People like the story. Yeah, Stick to what, it. That's why the game still exists now. Yeah. Fucking hell. But, yeah. But, oh, actually, it's not too bad. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Expect the worst from the Netflix series, and if it's great,
1: you'll be pleasantly surprised. Exactly. Exactly, my friend. Exactly but finally, right. <laughs> Jamie Westwood. Yes, sir. What else is Callum Truchiners uh, this week? Society just decided that 18 was adulthood, like nothing else did. <laughs> That's a fucking good point. Yeah. It's like when those people go, oh, well, it looks about 12, does eh? not they? Such a good point. What makes it 18 to be an adult? Well, Americans think it's 21. They want to be different.
3: But don't they just still say 18 is an adult, but you've got to be 21 to do shit because they're ass backwards and you can buy guns but not alcohol?
1: uh, Well, yes, it's very true. Is it it because puberty's finished? Is it anything? I don't know. Is it just the life cycle and gone? Well, that's, 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 okay, it's there. 18 is, is that the one, where it is, Or is it a maturity thing? I don't really know. I'm it's intrigued the, now. Is it the, the, you know, the makeup of your brain and everything, that like you, you comprehend things more as you, because don't you start to die at 25? Isn't that when everything starts to... I think I've heard that before. Sl- slowly, like, see, die off. You'd think you'd be
3: 20, wouldn't you? Because 19... Teen, teenager that's why it's not twenty
2: yeah
3: <laughs> yeah so I'd think you'd think you'd be twenty but
2: hmm.
3: I reckon it's just an eighteen year old who's told he wasn't an adult enough and he just went I'm an adult I have now decided so let's make that the law <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: I want cigarettes <laughs> I'm now an
3: adult
1: yeah well yeah they are obviously very young scientists at the time like, yeah,
3: my balls yeah. haven't dropped yet but I'm an adult <laughs> <laughs> I'm a late bloomer Oh, that reminds me. I have a follow-up to last week's treach. Which is? I was told that the reason electric cars make a noise in general is because apparently they're designed that way. They put fake noises into it, so it makes a noise. Oh. Yeah, apparently they do it on purpose so people can hear them coming,
1: but apparently they don't actually make noise. It's fake noise. That's mental. I know, right? (laughs) But I suppose it's good in a way, because if you don't hear it coming... I could see the logic Because people it, but... will be like... <laughs> yeah, that's exactly walking what today's to yeah. modern
3: society.
1: <laughs> yeah, just texting. Uh, some guy almost wiped me out yesterday. So, sorry. I'll, I'll, I won't go into that again. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. I found that out this week. And wow. I it was quite fascinating. Okay, that is, that is fascinating. Callum, again, <laughs> thank you so much for the treatures this week. There have been more... Philosophical than anything else, they if are. I say, if I do say so. Um, I like but thinking. I do I do want to see puppies on your thighs, and I want to see a watermelon in between. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I think we should swiftly move on. Jamie, yes, sir. It's time for Tom's journal. There yeah, it is. Read to me. And welcome to another edition. Of Tom's Journal. Oh, I oh, don't you worry. I'm gonna read to you like you've never been read to before. Oh, you make these promises to me. Jamie. Yes, sir. Why is it people love a magazine when they go on holiday? <laughs> I just no one buys magazines on the regular. Magazines why are people like oh I fancy a magazine for the plane oh I'll, a yeah i'll get i'll get i get me that's that and i'll get that's life and i'll get that's crazy and that's mental and that's that and that's I'll, uh, bullshit yeah and i'll read it all <laughs> on the plane and i'll read it when i'm sat in a on, on melanger uh when i'm back pool that's what i'm gonna do for a week i it's gonna fucking read trashy magazines about people showing <laughs> what's it's at their ass and i'm gonna drink my
3: you can guarantee that has been on the cover of one. <laughs> I walked in and found my son shoving it up his ass. Oh, yeah, exclusive,
1: like, and it's all just fake bullshit. Oh, I went, I went, I went to marry me, I went to marry my bride, and married her sister instead. No, you fucking didn't. I'm sorry if any of these news, these
3: headlines were real, they would be the proper news because they're fucking mental.
1: Just. Just bullshit. It's just all bullshit. as
3: We learned from men in
1: black back in the day. Talk just the cover up for aliens. Do you reckon? Definitely. I still get why there's such a and if they're only for holidays, people must be going away a lot.
3: <laughs> no. Why? <laughs> why does heat magazine still exist?
1: Like, why does uh, does do anyone buy a magazine? Just read them online now, don't you? Like newspapers <laughs> are falling by the wayside, but I just I just don't get it. But there we no. are. Um anyway, let's move on anyway. to the picture picture shall we? So, Jamie, I realised I had to pee. I got up, I walked to the pantry, forgot while I was going to the pantry. Remember I had to pee, so I went to the bathroom. Sitting on the toilet, remember why I was going to the pantry to get toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is I think I've actually done something like that before. There's nothing worse. I hate it when you're at work and I go, oh, I did this shit so bad. And I sometimes forget to check this toilet paper. And it's normally outside... The front of the of the toilet door, so I had to get out of the cubicle out into the into the area to grab toilet to come back in again. And uh, it's happened once. I was like shit, so I had to literally keep. This has generally happened. I kept my trousers and my boxes around just below my cheeks, and I carefully walked out to make sure there was no one out there. Literally, reached because luckily I'm a long and tall fucker, I had to reach with my arm, grab, and then like waddle back in with no one seeing me. <laughs> Can you imagine so much water?
3: Never mind.
1: Okay. <laughs> and now I always check. Always check. Yeah. You don't want to get caught with your trousers down your ankles. No, nope, Very true. Right. Or round your thighs. Kidnapper. I have one of your children. Molly. Which one? I have seven. Kidnapper. The loud, annoying, rowdy kid who never shuts up. Molly, which one? I have seven. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> I love that.
1: I am once again asking for a Muppets pride and prejudice with everyone played by Muppets except Mr. Darcy, who is played by a completely straight Adam Driver.
3: I would watch the shit out of
1: that. Yeah, I know you would. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Absolutely, watch the shit out of that. <laughs>
1: When he was on, on <laughs> Jolliver, when he was on Daddy. Oh, amazing. He's on a four-week fucking break at the moment, prick. I know. I'm not happy about that. No. Oh, I actually really. watched the last one. Oh, I'm proud of you. Well done.
3: Oh, after after
1: the Congress thing, which
3: we won't talk about, I had to see what he had to say about it.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was great as well. It was yeah. great as well. Yeah. Do you like very British problems? Oh, Yes. Are you going to the kitchen? No, why? Can you get the biscuits? Well, I wasn't going to the kitchen, but all right. Well, can you put the kettle on while you're there? Anything else? Well, tea, please, if you're making one. (laughs) 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 That reminds me of someone
3: that's connected to this thing on my finger.
1: Oh, mate. Bless your little face. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Karis has snuck in with McDonald's. I can smell it. and I'm like, oh. Right, I'm, saliv- I'm salivating. Start following your nose on the yeah, cartoon uh, characters. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, did I kill a plant or did the plant not have what it takes to thrive in this fast paced environment? Yes, I like this. I like that. I like that a
3: lot because you always get cute. you got to look after someone's plants. If you don't do it exactly how they do, you killed their plants. No, they just can't keep up with me.
2: Exactly.
1: Hmm. So- Exactly. These, can't handle, these plants just can't handle this earth these days.
3: No, they can't. Just sitting on a windowsill do fuck all.
1: So I really hate hiking with people who want to reach destinations or travel a certain distance. I love hiking with people who don't mind stopping every 30 feet to look inside rotting logs or photograph spiders or identify salamanders or people who hike for exercise to confuse and terrify me. I joined an outdoors club in college once and it fucking sucked because all I wanted to do was get to the top of a mountain as quickly as possible and I only stop to drink water and eat trail mix. It was awful. Hi- ideal hiking companions consist of botanists, entomologists, mycologists, people with asthma, children with ADHD, easily distractible dogs, people with great butts who walk slightly faster than I do.
3: <laughs> the last one, definitely. You're a nice oh yeah oh. I just like it. Just, uh, all these different things went. Like
1: people with asthma <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's the joke of it all um, I don't know how far to keep going because the journal is just stacked so I'm just going to keep going for a bit and then I'll stop when I fancy how about that sounds good to me some species of burrowing <laughs> spiders keep teeny tiny frogs in their burrows to keep it free of bugs too small for the spider to get at that, uh, that might try to eat the spider's eggs This means that tiny frogs are spider cats.
3: It's it's a true fact, though. I just thought spider cats. But yeah, that's that's actually pretty cool. It's quite mental, isn't it? I love how the animal kingdom works. That's awesome.
1: It's like yeah. I mean, I I don't want to be a spider cat. No fucking way. No way. But that's Uh, no thanks. But to protect their eggs, that's genius. That's absolutely genius. I like that. This is your job, Ribbit. <laughs> Kermit's like, oh fuck. <laughs> um, Why am I
2: protecting these eggs?
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, I love that bands still pretend to leap before their encore. It's <laughs> like Peekaboo for adults.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I saw this Tommy Lee shared it. I actually pissed myself. So <laughs> I love the fact what I keep. I've seen it shared by a bunch of musicians, which makes it even funnier because they do it. <laughs> Oh, yes. But if they don't, we'd be so disappointed. Like, we know what's going to happen, but we'd be so disappointed if they didn't do it.
1: <laughs> right, I'm going to give you three more. Okay. Four more, four more. All right, more. then we're going to okay. stop because I'm going to leave on an absolute gem, okay? Okay. Did you know, Jamie, that the main function of your little toe is making sure that all the furniture is in the house is in the right place? <laughs> Absolutely, fucking lately. That's where a song Was invented Lee awesome. Evans joke Listen Lee Evans joke I'm not taking credit for it It's a Lee Evans joke Better okay. tell you Bash your toe Oh Na 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 And all the cable Like yeah right on Right on <laughs> I love that whenever you bash your little toe,
3: you suddenly forget how the English language works. You're like, oh, ah, oh, bastard! Ah, fuck! fuck. <laughs> you can't get words out unless they're swearing.
1: So I'm, all, I'm a uh, guy yeah. like, I, yeah, fuck uh, no. uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like Peter Griffin. I'm not a breather in now. I'm a uh, like, ah, <laughs> yeah, I want a strainer and maybe you know, you know, yeah, what I mean, There's quite a the straining noise, yeah. Um guy in my office uh, is shaking his protein shake and this one poked head around the corner and went, do I hear margaritas? (laughs) Uh, No, Janet, you don't, it's (laughs) 10am.
3: What makes that funny is you know that person exists.
1: Oh yeah. You absolutely
3: exist. It's
1: 5pm somewhere. Oh, shut (laughs) up.
3: I don't know, in my head it's like in an office building in New York City Centre. Just... (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: I'll let you know I next
2: margaritas.
1: time. Um, cops came round. Let us in! Uh, not without a warrant. Oh, fine. Cheese, my cherry pie. <laughs> Shit. Come on in. <laughs>
2: I love that so much.
1: <laughs> I thought you would.
2: <laughs> it's such an obvious joke. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: If you love that, you're going to love this last one. Oh, fuck,
2: that's beautiful.
1: And finally, Jamie. Oh. I stopped believing for a little while this morning. Journey are going to be so pissed. <laughs> 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 and that was another edition of Tom's oh, Journal Oh,
3: fucking beautiful.
1: Poor Steve Perry. Oh. I have some there's some glorious shit next week, don't you worry? That oh, is
3: amazing.
1: Some <laughs> glorious fucking shit next week.
3: Not without a warrant. <laughs>
1: it's
3: right there. Why have I never put that together?
1: Oh no one ever does. No Love one well, someone did. Someone did it oh, someone, someone did it. But uh I said we should get to what we're all here for. Oh yes. The peace. The peace of resistance. Yeah, babe. Welcome to the Chronicles of Kurt Amica. Kurt is a comic book writer who has books with dead souls. Uh, Tad Caldwell, which I believe has now been made into a movie, Jamie. Yes, it is. A fucking movie. He is also friends with the Cradle of Filth lead singer Danny Filth and has created comics for him as well as the 69 Eyes.
3: A man loves his goth bands because, yeah, this is awesome. I was so... I discovered this guy because from an advert from Cradle Filth saying, like, we've done a comic created by Kurt Amaker. And I was like, that's freaking cool, writing a comic about a band. And I was like, oh, he's done loads of work. Let's reach out to this man. Like, And I love how passionate he is about what he does. And a man uses a lot of big words. And I just love people as well, when we talk to them in the show, that could just talk. My favourite guest is when you ask that one question, and next thing you know, they've answered your next five as well. Yeah, it's best, great. The best guests. Absolutely amazing. Fascinating conversation. A lovely human being to talk to as well. Yeah, I, I
1: really enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's good. Obviously, he knows his history. He knows his goth history, vampire history, uh, the dark arts, should we say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he's also a fascinating human being. Uh, really lovely guy. He used to be in the Marine Corps. Uh, did himself did himself a mischief uh, and got into comics. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's, good. it's a great story. Like, from start to finish, so everything we talked about is... Just, uh, yeah, I, I don't really want to go into his detail because I kind of want you to just, like, take it up for yourself and just enjoy it and just breathe it in. Ingest this beautiful man, all the way from New Orleans. Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat to us. We really do appreciate it. Um, uh, we really enjoyed it. We're really excited to hopefully meet you one day uh, and check out from the bars and all the party life you got going on over there in New Orleans. Jamie! Yes, sir! Any final words?
3: Thank you, Mr. Amaka. This is absolutely wonderful. And I will repeat what I said to you at the start of this interview. Definitely the best dressed guest I've ever had.
1: Even Joe, G- over Joe Gash?
3: Oh, that's a good point.
1: But he was dressed. He was a dapper, dapper human. So... Most
3: smartly dressed guest I've ever had.
1: Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely up there. There's a gentleman. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, interviewing this week a comic book writer, former Marine Corp. It's Kurt Amaker! Hey the man himself. <laughs>
2: hey,
3: <laughs> the most best-dressed guest we have ever had, I'm also gonna add.
0: Well, um God, how could I respond to that without insulting all of your other guests ever? <laughs> <laughs> no bar means carry on <laughs> <laughs> well all of you I don't know and I've never met <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> bar that one guy some time ago in that bar <laughs> uh,
0: time you were all taking down a pig yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know
3: I, he that you him. have met one of our previous guests we know that for a fact
0: who's that uh, Geeky uh, Ori
3: or- or- Kimbler from Geeky Vengeance
0: yeah, yeah, I think she, uh, I think she interviewed me at uh, a signing a few weeks ago. Back, well, a few more a few back in May, I guess. Um, we, I don't think it's run yet, though. I think it's uh, still sitting in the queue. But yeah, I saw she was from New Orleans. Yeah, that's how.
3: Yes, we know. We know. little I messaged her about you because I know she's also from New Orleans.
0: Yeah, uh, she was upstairs with. Um, we had a, a shop signing for free comic book day here in the States and they uh, had us, she just kind of like went down the road and interviewed each of us. So she, uh, it was fun. Uh, I remember she uh, she asked me what my, uh, what my favorite food was and I said, uh, right now it's braised beef short ribs. And she just stopped and went, well, I don't eat meat, so I guess I'll never try that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that does sound amazing though. I might have yeah, to go to the States yeah. just to try it and then come back to the UK again. I think you probably, probably find it over there. Um, I mean, it's not exactly, it's not really exotic or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's impatience. And the trip. The trick is after you've braised them to take them out and then crisp them under the broilers, that little fat cake gets nice and, uh, you know, nice and golden brown. But Oh, so. Kurt. Oh,
1: that was to myself now. Give me a minute. <laughs> that just sounds that, incredible. You say you got Tom dribbling.
0: <laughs> what's that? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I was in uh, I was in London a few years ago. I want to say back in twenty twenty 2014, I was on my way back from Helsinki, and I stopped over for a few days. and um, yeah, I mean uh, it's it's the food was actually quite good. People make all these little cracks about British food, but I mean, it was I really enjoyed myself at a good time. Um, the only uh, the other criticism I'll say is that unlike New Orleans, Uh, Londoners are not nearly as just overtly friendly like if you sit in a bar in New Orleans for long enough eventually some stranger welcome or not will come talk to you and London that only really happened when I went to the crowbar they're kind of like rock and metal bar Um, and I've met a few American expatriates and people that knew some people that I knew and that kind of thing but I mean every other pub I went to the entire time I was there was just stones I could have been like a statue you know
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That sounds about
0: right yeah. yeah,
1: Londoners aren't known for their friendliness oh, yeah. <laughs> They just want to get to wherever they're going to And they don't want to talk to anyone about it They just want to get there, alright, that's, that's it No questions asked
0: uh, Where are you guys uh, set up? Where, where in the UK are you all set up at?
1: Um, I'm in uh, Newport, South Wales so I'm actually in
0: Wales myself So,
1: And I'm from Birmingham in England
0: Okay, yeah um, So <laughs> Have you been by the Black Sabbath bench?
3: Yeah, I've walked past it quite a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I was a bit annoyed because
3: they had like um like a little Black Sabbath museum thing a little while ago, just before COVID, and I couldn't get to it in time. I was A bit annoyed. I was so I uh, to go I to
0: that. in Romania last fall, and they were on their second or third COVID lockdown, and about at least three things that I really wanted to go to were either closed or on very limited hours. So I was able to make them because they were yeah COVID just kind of wrecked everything for everyone, and um you know it's been very controversial in the States because of course we have 50 States with our own independent government governors and all different opinions about how to deal with that sort of thing. So. So Jamie was to a nice little introduction. And now we just bombard the absolute living hell out of with questions. How does that sound? Uh, good. As long as we stay away from contentious American politics and. Uh... Oh, damn it.
1: Right. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. We won't talk about it like that. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, today we bring you a guest who has combined his love for horror, music, and writing to become one of the most unique comic book writers in the land. His talents have led him to getting praise from legends like Alan Moore and working with artists like Cradle Filth and 69 Eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the Chronicles of Kurt Amaker. Welcome, welcome,
1: welcome, sir.
0: Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's just an absolute
1: pleasure, sir. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you're, you're a very, very busy man. Um, so we'll cut right to the real hard-hitting shit, cut, which simply Indeed. is, how was your pandemic season? season?
0: Oh, it was all right. It's, I'm a bit of a homebody, so being locked down is not the absolute worst thing. I've, I've managed to turn my, uh, my home into sort of a... a you know, it's just kind of a playland geared towards uh, mine and uh, my bride's interests. You know, so there's large screen TVs, plenty of books, plenty of graphic novels. Uh, you know, putting putting some uh, some of those home arcade games in my office. I just uh, I kind of got burned out um, going out a lot uh, back several years ago because I used to do uh, nightclub promotion, DJing, and that kind of stuff. And I was on stage, MCing and you know, kind of rocking out behind the DJ booth and uh, <laughs> So I kind of, it's it's not that I'm like completely antisocial, it's just that the appeal of like going out on a Friday or Saturday, a lot of the things people were missing um, outside of being able to dine in a restaurant without a a partition or the waiter having to do this uh, extended song and dance with the masks and the distance and am I too close, So I don't know, I have to put my mask on if I need to to go use the loo but uh not if i'm sitting down and it's all that that part was obnoxious but um other than that no it wasn't it wasn't terrible um you know i work at home so uh, <sighs> so nothing nothing slowed down i take it not really um i mean again there were some things like my the gym near my house closed for like a month or so so we would just go walk around ottoman park and uh uh, some restaurant there was a couple of restaurants that never reopened, which is tragic but for the most part no not a lot changed. I did get covid uh in September of last year and that had me locked up for a couple of weeks it was uh it's it's nasty stuff I'm not a covid denier or anything like that I mean it was uh it was pick the worst flu you've ever had and then uh turn it up to eleven um, so
3: <laughs> yeah it's no fun but Take us back, sir, to when you were young, master amica, you could say. What did you want to be when you grew up? Was it always writing in comics? Or was it something completely different in total?
0: I think my mother will tell you that I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer and that I went through, you know, an astronaut and about 10 other jobs. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sure somewhere in there I wanted to grow up to be Dracula or, you know, a dinosaur <laughs> or something. But yeah, um, uh, honestly, no, I had a, I've had always had a real interest in comics as a medium. And I, I initially started trying to draw this sort of when I was about sixth grade and I was doing still life. So just basic kind of preliminary stuff. And I, I in some talent, but I didn't stick with it. And that's entirely my fault. I was, I, I was actually, uh, uh, I don't know, it's, it's sort of faint praise, but I was becoming not bad. And uh, the, but the issue is, and this is kind of obvious to this is, well, maybe it's not obvious to some people is that illustration, is kind of a different animal than just drawing a, a bowl of fruit or a person sitting there. Um, and I never got that far into it, other than kind of like copying stuff out of like Wizard Magazine or other comic books I had. And um, but I recognized, of course, the comic books had writers, and they were typically, although some, they were typically not the same person. That there's a creative team working on it. So I went, okay, well, I can definitely write. Um, that's a bit, I was told I was a pretty good writer. Uh, I went to a couple of gifted, you know, sort of English and arts classes in high school. And um, so, yeah, I, I always maintain, I didn't really take the idea of writing comics or graphic novels seriously until uh, the early 2000s. It was just sort of something that was in my mind of like, oh, I'd like to do that one day. But it's like when you say, you know, oh, I'm going to I'm going to travel one day or I'm going to go back to school. or You know, it's just, it's just sort of it was kind of a thing off. Of, I mean, I have gone back to school and have traveled, but it was. It was not a thing that I really had a uh, had a serious line on, and um, I don't know. We're kind of segueing into a secondary topic. I can keep explaining this, or, okay. or, or we can go back to you know childhood. Um, so, <laughs> Marvel Marvel Comics had an imprint in the '80s called Epic, and they used it for more adult and kind of um, independent type stuff. So they reprinted ElfQuest uh, using Epic, and they. Um, they might have had a couple of manga titles, although I'm not I might be misremembering that part, but they, they they would do it for more adult and independent kind of stuff. It was an imprint and they decided to bring it back in the early 2000s as a work from home opportunity for fans, uh, whereby you could pitch and they would even maybe match you with a creative team and you would get um. M- you would get sort of a standard cut that everyone would get of X percentage or X number of dollars. And so it was an open call for submissions. It was meant to be a fan driven imprint, which sounds like a good idea until you realize that they they obviously got buried under with submissions and then a whole bunch of... Um, there wasn't any big like legal wrangling that I recall, but there's that question of, okay, well, if you submit, who owns this? And then when they did finally get, I believe one of the editors um, who was spearheading the project was let go or he or he moved on and I don't remember exactly, but they ended up only putting it out as either an anthology of some of those fan submissions or stuff by Mark Millar and other comic writers that were already really well-established for they're more like offbeat projects. So I started working on a pitch with a guy I knew and then a guy I'd gone to college with. And then I was in the uh, Marine Corps Reserves at the time. I was a weekend warrior, meaning you go to boot camp, you go to all the training, and then you go about your normal life, but you show up to train uh, one weekend a month and then two weeks in the year. But then the Iraq war happened in early 2000. My unit got called up to go over to Iraq in 2003. Uh, this would have been about March, and we were doing um, Mount Training M O U T, which is essentially urban warfare training. And they have these like bombed out, empty buildings and burned out cars and stuff. And it's meant to teach you how to like fall and tumble on concrete and climb into windows and stuff. So uh, I was climbing into a window with my all my entire pack and armor plating and my weapon and everything with this guy. Um, boosting me up by the boot, I was to step on his shoulder and then scramble into the window above him. So I started trying to do that. And then I fell and then I landed on one leg and destroyed my left knee. So I had to stay in California while my unit went to Al-Khut, but they actually did not leave until Baghdad fell. Uh, so they were there trying to reestablish civil order and like keep the Iranians out and otherwise just like help them set up a police force and so uh, I stayed at Camp Pendleton and I just worked in the mailroom. I did physical therapy, answered phones, just kind of paperwork. So uh, a lot of free time laid up. So I started writing the script for that pitch that I, I had understood that the epic program had kind of been uh, dissolved or, or seriously backburned by Marvel. So I started working on the pitch um, and I was listening to a lot of like black metal and um, you know, the whether cradle counts as black metal is, or immaterial but it was in the mix of like emperor and dark throne and some of like phil and selmo's projects i went and saw danzig's uh blackest of the black festival when i was up there uh I, I should point out i was intermittently on crutches and then walking and then surgery and then back on so it was one of those, those, those times where i was walking not very well but enough to get myself around um so uh i you know i would kind of taken an interest in uh black metal and extreme metal which it started off with um mostly with cradle but it was uh out of listening to gothic rock and post-punk for years and years and kind of abandoning metal when i was younger but cradle kind of got me interested in reading about history and got me interested in literature again and and it, it was not um when i was in college i wasn't like in trouble or like failing out but i just was kind of a Kind of a dumbass college kid, I was just playing video games and hanging out with my girlfriend and doing enough to get by for my uh, for my bachelor's degree. But so this friend's like, you might like this band, Cradle of Filth. Okay, try that, listen to it. I was like, wow, I think I really get these guys. This is a little, it was a little abrasive at first, but then I kind of my ear got attuned to the screaming, and so I started catching the lyrics. I was like, oh, this guy's actually a really good writer, Mm -hmm. and. It really drove me to start reading a lot more history and nonfiction, and it kind of reawoken my interest in literature and the arts and history and and not just being kind of a, a layabout and, you know, just going and hanging out at goth bars and, again, showing up to exams 20 minutes late, trying to, uh, you know, trying to limp through college. So uh, keeping that in mind, I had, had this idea for what became Dead Souls ultimately, which I, again, I Thought we would do with Epic, but then I started doing more seriously when I was laid up, writing it on a yellow legal pad. So uh, the book took several years to get together between dealing with the artist and who produced two drafts of the book, both of which were kind of a mixed bag. So trying to reassemble the book out of Photoshop and then letter, really learning how to letter in Adobe Illustrator and finally getting the first issue out. Um, I I'm still not real thrilled with how the mini-series turned out. Some of the writing is pretty good. The art is very questionable. Um, and so that's why I redid it uh over the years in fits and starts in between other projects. But um, I published the first issue through Sarah Femmer of books who were out of Houston, Mark Morash, who um is somewhere in the Northeast right now. I think he might be in Connecticut and they have kind of switched over to doing more like um, political cartoons and kind of um, more ethereal artistic stuff. And at the time I told Mark that if he would put the book out, I was willing to help him. I was willing to represent him at cons and like put in some legwork for the company. Um, So it worked out, sold a bunch of copies of that. It, it, with the first one but before the first one came out i had this notion of interviewing danny filth for the back of the first issue because it had some thematic DNA with Cradle of Filth. And I want to be very clear that it was one of those cases where I wasn't trying to do a cradle themed superhero comic, but the comic obviously had some DNA with the sort of resurrected Vlad the impaler and Elizabeth Bathory. it was set in new orleans and because that's easier i knew all the street names and the neighborhoods and stuff um from here originally so you know part of the reason i set stuff in new orleans is just because it's just easier for me to write about it (laughs) off the cuff and um i don't know what that says about me i should probably actually uh i mean i do try to research places when i write about them but um Oftentimes, this place is is strange enough that it's it's ample fodder for any story you want to set here. Um, but there was some thematic DNA between Cradle's music and the comic, and they were also unique and independent enough of each other that it it wasn't like I like put a superhero cape on Danny Filth and sent him out to like fight crime or something like that. I
2: don't if um, to say that. <laughs> uh,
0: you think that now? Um, but, <laughs> yeah, but. I got I went through the proper channels. Amy Shiretto at Roadrunner um really helped me out. And it was good because with Sarah Femura behind me at that point with Mark, like Seraphemer was is and was, was is still is, as far as I know um, a real company and it wasn't just like a guy slapped a company name and a logo in a book and it's really just all his personal accounts and stuff. And so that actually did a lot towards getting us um, I think. Getting through to him in a way that, like when we call, we called Roadrunner when they were with him at the time around uh, after an amphetamine came out, we were able to say, "Hey, this is Sarah Femoral Books. We're interested in uh, setting up this interview. Can we get Dan to read the book and everything?" Um, so it happened. The interview went really well. Uh, instead of really talking about music, although obviously we couldn't avoid that, we talked about you know more like literature and history. And I wanted to pick this guy's bra- this guy's brain. Uh, we got on really well. We kept emailing. Um, we touched base. So, you know, he had uh, the bride and I backstage a couple of times, several times now, but it's just sort of a friendship built out of that. I was able to branch out and network, um, through Danny and also the 69 Eyes. I was with a, um, not to get way ahead of it, but I was uh, we promoted one of those concerts with a um like a Goth nightclub group. I was with I um, mean Yerky and I, same thing. We just kept in touch and he asked me if I'd work on their book. So I probably just answered like half of your questions in one info, dump. I'm sorry. That's,
1: that's absolutely fine, Kurt. So that was lovely to talk to you, wouldn't that? Now, just let's just rewind slightly. Let's just rewind back to when you said you're in the Marines. Now your dad was a naval officer, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So had you have not busted your knee, was the Marines is that where you wanted to go with your life? Or is that what you were thinking? This is what I'm gonna do. Cause you were saying like how graphic novels like, I'll get to that one day, but was the Marine Corps the way you wanted to go?
0: Yeah. Well, I was in I was in the Marines and I'd been in for a few years at that point. It wasn't I didn't hurt my knee in boot camp. I hurt my knee in uh a, a training thing we were doing for Yeah, just, yeah. You know, I was I was in, I had my globe and anchor, uh, I was an E3. Um and this is just the first time we had been activated outside of the summer training. So um, when I got into boot camp, I had a notion of going to OCS of becoming a marine officer after. And honestly, I just I got through boot camp, and I said this was fine, but I'm not sure that I want to do it again. Um, and <laughs> I, I mean, I was never in great shape physically or anything like that. I was never never much of an athlete, so getting um uh, getting through boot camp was a huge achievement in and of itself i mean i'm talking about i was the the i was a typical like kid in the trench coat that like hated all sports and wouldn't go near them <laughs> i mean the first time i ever like went on a run that didn't have a gym teacher behind me making me do it for for class or something was you know an absolute embarrassment outside of my parents home and uh when they were living in virginia my dad was the Pentagon. um I, um, my father definitely vectored me more towards the Marines than towards the the Navy or any of the other services. I'd always had a lot of interest in the Marine Corps. I like, uh they had this aesthetic that I found kind of, uh, you know, kind of fascinating, kind of interesting. And they had this intensity about them that I really respected. It wasn't just a job you went to, to go to college. Marines have this kind of uh, I hate to say cult-like because it sounds like an insult, but I don't mean it as such. I mean, it was really like once you were in, you were in forever and you were like there, you were part of the brotherhood. And I mean, it's it did, it served me really well. It's helped me get jobs. It's besides the GI Bill I got out of it later. And, uh, you know, it's... Whatever you meet, another Marine in a bar or see, you know, it could be at a freaking grocery store or something. Although the area I live with is crawling with veterans because there's a couple of, there's a base here and there was one that's um, just a federal facility now. But so I don't, I don't talk to every Marine veteran I see on the street because if I did that, I would never, because this whole area is just overrun (laughs) with Navy and Marine vets. Um, (sighs) But no, I was happy to do it. I'm, I'm not, um, like i don't regret having joined the marine corps or anything like that i definitely had a thought that i was going to go be an officer and do it full time but i found that i was okay with being a reservist i said i've just got a fun to go um play in the dirt and ride around in humvees and shoot stuff you know every so often but i'm gonna finish college and get on with my life
3: (laughs) so you're saying like you wrote dead souls like but again like Tom said a minute ago, you, it was always that, I'll write a book eventually. What was it that made you actually go, right, no, I'm going to sit here, get this yellow legal pack, and I'm going to write this book? What was that trigger that made you actually do it?
0: The initial impetus was the EPIC program because it's, it's probably, you all probably understand this, but just for anyone who doesn't. Getting into comics via submission is very difficult. Most companies don't take uh, cold submissions anymore. And the ones that do, you're just as likely to end up in the uh, in the circular file as you are to end up in front of an editor's desk. They just get too many of them. There's too many legal issues with um, if you send in a pitch without uh, without it being requested by an editor or something, it's like and then they put something out like that even that resembles it you get this whole like oh you stole my story kind of thing and now i'm going to sue you for a million dollars i mean this happens to uh it happens to musicians fairly often because some dumbass writes some songs and sends them to print Reznor or robert bland or whomever i'm thinking because both of these people that i'm thinking of who had this happen is led zeppelin i know for sure has nine inch nails definitely has there's been a few others where uh some guy writes a bunch of songs and then sends them and is like, wouldn't it be cool if you perform these? And then of course they never hear back from the, the artist and then something comes out. The guy thinks that it's his song. So comics, the comic companies, even image um, the opportunity to just send in a submission is just very rare. Occasionally they'll have open submission calls, but your best bet is to know people by way of however you get to know people i don't know go to cons talk to a bunch of editors buy them a drink chat them up make sure that they know that you're not a crazy person put out some stuff (laughs) yourself get to you know it's just it's it's like anything else you stumble upon it so for them at my age not understanding a lot of this the idea that they were really legitimately going to take a pitch and that they might look at it was i said okay if there ever was a chance, this would be it. And then of course, as I said, they were deluged with submissions by people that had the same idea. The reason why I started writing it um, as such when I was laid up is one, I had the time to do it. Um, I had an idea that I liked initially that I had worked out. And then um, a movie with the dearly departed Heath Ledger came out called the order. It was a sort of Catholic church, supernatural conspiracy thing. Uh, it came out and had almost the exact same plot. So um, I'm not saying that they didn't steal anything from me, but I had my idea worked out and they were alarmingly similar. That does happen. So I went well into the circular file with that one and let's start over. And I, um, I just had the time to write and work out an idea that I had no idea where it was going. I had a premise. I had a seed of an idea. And I said, okay, well I got, not much else to do. Uh, I I was working in, like I said, uh, offices and stuff, but a lot of time I was just laid up. I was like, I could, I could go to like from my desk to the bed and not much else. And so I was like, all right, well, let me see where this idea goes. And I just kind of push it out and let it, let, let it carry to carry me where it it goes. Um, So that was it. I had the time I had decided that the idea was, good enough and had enough legs that I was I wanted to see it through it was people say like well where do your ideas come from well they come everybody has ideas the question is being receptive to them and then writing them down when you land on a good one I have like 10 ideas a day and most of them are forgettable occasionally if one stays with me for a few a few weeks whatever I go mom maybe I should uh flesh that out because if it's still in my head if it's still kind of uh kind of gnawing at me then maybe i should consider developing it and that kind of happened with dead souls i was like i like this idea i think it's marketable and even if the idea is kind of absurd on its face there's an audience to this kind of thing this sort of like um keep in mind this was a few years after uh blade and the crow and then the under and underworld movies hadn't come out yet but that kind of goth action, twin, you know, black leather trench coat, twin pistols with a, you know, with a samurai sword. There were, if you look back during that time period, there were a lot of movies like that. And so it was meant to be something in that vein, no pun intended. Um, But it, and, and again, the idea is a little silly on its face, which is why when I redid it, I made it deadly serious and got fleshed out the history a lot more and tried to make it as sort of like, grown up and as legitimate as I could, I suppose. But um, that, that subgenre, for lack of, you know, you want to call it gothic action or dark action. I mean, there were a whole lot of movies like that and some comics and um, definitely around the Vampire the Masquerade role-playing game at that time. So I knew I had a market for the idea. Um, and so it was just a matter of going, okay, I would be wasting my, I would be wasting a really good, legitimate, kind of germ of an idea if I just forget about this one and don't do it like ever. And and in the process, I kind of took a look at my life and I said, what am I going to do with my time and how serious you want to be about comics and comics are very important to me. So I quit playing console video games. I sold my PS2. Um, I knew I had to read. I knew I had to write. I knew I had to get a job. I knew I had to get married. And I just said, okay, I'm going to legit focus on this and start taking the idea seriously and not just, be that guy at the bar who's like, oh, I'm going to write a screenplay one day. You know, New Orleans is overrun with guys like that. And they're, they're virtually all guys. When I say guys, <laughs> I mean guys.
3: <laughs> I love that though. You say like how you rewrote Dead Souls to make it a bit more serious and whatnot. It's obviously, it shows how much you have a love for that story though. Instead of just going, I'll write a whole new story. Let's forget about that When You're like, no, I have a love this story. I will make it the best I can make it.
0: Yeah. I so- uh- that was um well that was the driving impetus is that it was the it was a thing that got my got my foot in the door with comics and I thought the art was very rough. I thought the writing, I thought the premise, some of the ideas it put forth were good and the prose itself is, is not bad. It's not like ridiculously awful or anything but the 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 way it gets to some of those ideas I felt was a little juvenile and so when I redid it I um, I recast what in the um, the original one was a cult like uh, with hoods and religious services I recast them as like a security servant like a freelance like um, defensive security service kind of like a Blackwater type thing that it turns out is obviously a lot more going on but I was I, I was like Let me, I was sort of like, let me pretend this is more, more Tom Clancy and less like underworld or the crow. Like, let me pretend this is like, this is really happening. And it's in, it's in something that's recognizable as our world, our world. And it deals with police and security services and international intrigue. And once I did that, it was a lot more like, I am, it was a lot more where I read it and I go, okay, this is not. Obviously, someone's first comic book. Um, Unfortunately, the reboot of Dead Souls not sell nearly as well as I was hoping because I really like it. And I look back, uh, excuse me. Um, I look back and I still really like it, but there was a delay dealing with one of the printers I was working with. And so there were pre-orders. I think those got filled by the bookstores and stuff. I hate to say that, but I told everyone where they could go get it or if they had bought a copy that they never received that I would, give them one or send them, at least give them a PDF, buy them over. And then, you know, I try to take care of my customers, but the whole thing was a bit of a debacle. And then I don't know if it just was too dense and kind of I um, I don't know how to describe it. If it, I don't want to say it was too smart for the audience. Cause I don't really think that, but if it was just more like the combination of subject matter was too personalized. It was like, I was writing the book I wanted to read. And sometimes you do that and you go, wow, this is great. I love it. But you just realize that that's what I'm interested in. That's not what the whole world Mm -hmm. is interested in. That happens to a lot of, um, that happens to a lot of creative types. You put out something that you absolutely love and you're like, hot damn, this is going to be great. And then you just go, well, that's what you like. That's not what the rest of the world necessarily (laughs) likes.
3: So I was saying before that, I don't
0: mean to, again, I don't mean to insult my audience. I mean, if it doesn't, Take it's if it doesn't catch on, I, that's that's entirely my responsibility. I'm not saying it was too intelligent or too dense or too literary or anything like that. I said I think it may have just been a combination of too many. It was a pizza with toppings that only I like, and <laughs> each other. What a
3: superb way of putting it! I like that.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, as I said in my intro, you know, you received some great praise from several people for this book, including comic legend Alan Moore. How did, how did Alan Moore get his eyes on it? And that must have been a very surreal moment for you.
0: Uh, I was writing for a website called Cinescape. It used to have a print magazine. And then later it became Mania.com. Uh, and it was, um, I think when they changed it to Mania, it was purchased by one of those companies that owns like several news and news sites and commentary sites. Like the crack.com is not owned by the Cracked company. They're owned by a media conglomerate that owns like 10 other websites. Uh, um, I'm sure you all are aware of this. I'm just explaining to the audience. So Cinescape had been around for years, as a magazine. And then the magazine kind of sputtered and then stopped coming out. The website kept going and um, I was being paid pretty consistently. And I was chasing down a news story uh, when Alan left um, DC Comics over the whole um, blow up with the V for Vendetta film. I spoke to a couple of people that worked with him for quotes and stuff for a news story about it um, because the had co- free reign on the column. It can be an opinion piece. It could be news analysis. It could be interviews. And so um, I got to know uh, Chris Staros, who was his editor at Top Shelf at the time. And Top Shelf was going to put out Lost Girls, which was his work of uh, elegant literary pornography. And well before the book came out well well long before he sent me a gallery copy of it meaning just a big xerox copy with a chip flip on it and um so i was one of the first people to read it outside of alan and his wife melinda getty so we set up an interview we did the interview it went really well it was really long um alan and i got on pretty well um i felt like we had kind of had a good rapport. So I would call him occasionally for quotes for other stories, you know, like when people do in the news, they're like, and here's what, um, you know, here's what Corey Taylor from Slipknot thinks about this, that kind of thing. Um, I would call him for like, uh, quotes on and commentary on news pieces. I was doing, I interviewed him a few more times and somewhere in there we had developed, um, I guess you could call it a friendship, but we've never met in person. So, um, we at one point I tried to arrange that and he was in the middle of working on his novel Jerusalem and told me uh, I'm too busy and Neil Gaiman just tried to call so tried to do the same thing so don't take it personally that's paraphrasing the conversation I said all right you know. uh, we've spoken a few times since then I haven't talked to him in a couple of years it's not for it's not for like any need to avoid him or anything it's just um. He's very, very into film right now. Um, but if I, you know, if I picked up the phone, he would re- remember me. But we were talking a lot over the years, and just found that, you know, he's a he's a he's a really bright, intelligent, funny guy, and he often is misunderstood or taken out of context by by the media. And I feel that that's unfair. But uh, besides all that, uh, the answer to your question is that. I was wor- I got the first issue of the comic out, and I said, can you give me a cover quote for the second one? Because we had a cover quote from Danny on the first one. And he said, yeah, sure, send it on. And he read it, and he said, wow, this is really good, so here's your quote. Uh, so he gave me a fulsome little mini-review. And years later, I told him, I said, you know, I appreciate the quote, but I mean, that book was really, really raw. And he goes, he said, yeah, but I could see the writing through the rawness. I could see that there was something good under there, so... Um, you know that that's all it was. Is we had developed sort of uh, an ongoing conversation, series of conversations, and then I asked him about it when I was well. It, it wouldn't. It wasn't out of the blue at that point. We were talking about politics and media and comics and art and whatever the hell. We were just having normal conversations in between doing interviews and stuff. And you know, so it wasn't a big deal by the time I asked. I guess is the the short version of it.
3: So obviously we have mentioned Cradle of Filth, 69 Eyes and whatnot, and you've worked with those to make comic books for the bands. How did that come about? Did they approach you? Did you approach them through friendship or?
0: With 69 Eyes, uh, Yerky Yerky 69 asked to come to a DJ gig in New Orleans after we had put the band on with this promotional group I was working with called Corrosion. Uh, We would book concerts and goth club nights and I'd DJ and I'd go on stage and my sunglasses on and be like, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, just, just kind of ham it up. And uh, so we, we booked the eyes to play, and Yurki and I got on pretty well. Um, you know, we just drank and partied through the quarter one night. And then he got in touch with me later and said, hey, I want to come DJ. I DJ by myself on the side. I just do, like, appearances. So it's a signing slash DJ gig. I'll, I'll, like, hang out with people. Um, I said, all right. So um, True Blood was really big at the time, so I contacted HBO and asked if we could do like a official unofficial Fantasia event based on the Vampire Bar in that's in those novels and in the television show. Uh, I worked out the logistics with HBO so that they said the short version of the conversation is we won't give you any money and you can't use the logo, but we will permit you to use the name itself, like just you could call it Fantasia but we're not going to help you. And you cannot use the artwork. I said, all right, good enough for me. Um, so I had a uh, Yerky and a few other local like vamp DJs and goth and kind of a uh, vampire, like lifestyle scene. And um, went pretty well. We did a few more of them. And in, the, but on the first one, uh, Yerky asked me if we would do a 69 eyes comic book. So I went to Mark. I said, yeah, we should definitely do this. So Mark and I and a bunch of other artists did this sort of, Canterbury Tale style story where people all tell a different portion. It's like that uh, Sandman issue with uh, the the um, tavern at the end of the world. I think I'm trying to remember what the name of uh, what the name of the, the arc is, but it's where there's a bunch of people trapped in this sort of supernatural tavern in that they can't seem to get out of. There's a, a snowstorm that never ends outside, and so there are sort of travelers from different dimensions, and they all have, have like. Um, they all have different stories to tell different sort of, and they're obviously all kind of connected to the Sandman mythology. So we had this idea of a bunch of kids outside of a concert and they would each tell a portion of a story where they were kind of making up um, Yerky and the 69 eyes fictional biography under the premise, of course, that they are all real vampires. And then naturally by the end of the story, we find out that it's all true, you know, you know, newsflash for spoilers for the story that, you know, it's like, like every every anthology show like every episode of Tales from the Crypt or Twilight Zone where has where a premise like that it's like guess what the kids dreams were all real or the whatever the monster really does <laughs> they're really into the monster so that was um but uh, Danny liked the 69 eyes comics he had gotten copies either either I sent them to them or he bought them I don't remember or got them from the band I don't remember but he um had gone through uh, someone he had talked to about doing a cradle comic, somebody who had done comics for a couple of death metal bands. And I don't know the guy's name and I'm not trying to like shit on him. I don't really know anything about him, but he, the guy had put together a pitch or gotten started and Danny really didn't like it. And so he said, would you, um, would you do a cradle comic? And I said, yeah, of course. Uh, So once we like, Basically, Danny and I had to do everything ourselves. We didn't have a lot of outside support. So it was him, myself, and then Monty Bor, the artist, and Jamie Huntley who did the cover. Um, and we did a Kickstarter campaign to raise the money for it. Obviously, there was no legal issues in terms of using the band's artwork or lyrics because Danny ultimately has ownership of all that stuff, so our, as far as I know. Um, but the um, everyone, the record company and the management, everybody else was just kind of like, uh, that just we're not gonna, you know, not really interested. So Danny and I just plowed ahead. We did the Kickstarter. Um, I have friends that have a t shirt company, and they do sort of like gothic and Lovecraftian, uh, kind of just sort of alternative, kind of cute, kind of I don't want to say hot topic y type shirts because they're much more original and interesting than that. But um, they were able to help me get the shirts together, deal some of the international shipping. Uh, the ordeal became so like overwhelming that I had to quit my day job at the time and do comics full time for a while. Um, I, because in order to cut down costs, like I did a lot of the shipping and then my friends who had the t-shirt company, psycho graphics, Psy S I G H co C O period psycho. haha. Um, <laughs> So <Sorry>. yeah, um, <laughs> they're still, they're still around too. And they do great work and they have printed all of my shirts and, um, and then you know they still let me uh, I'm still allowed to sell that cradle shirt. but they had a shipping facility uh, in Portland where they're set up. They run the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. so they, they were like, look um, they didn't say you seem like you're in over your head but I think that was the kind of sub that was the subtitle written underneath <laughs> and stuff that said we're gonna distribute all the shirts for you and we're going to distribute we're gonna do the international shipping for you so just send us a couple of cases of the books and the, you know, the Excel file with everything. And we'll, you know, so I, I handle all the domestic shipping by myself. I sat at my kitchen table with mailing supplies and slap, put comic books and little voodoo dolls and stuff in in envelopes and put labels on them and then ran them into the post office in the middle of the night to use the automat for, uh, for postage. Um, so yeah, it, uh, I, I'm pretty proud with how the, how the book turned out. It is very much like myself and Danny's vision raw and uncut. And that can be a good thing. can be a bad thing in the case of a, uh, you know, I was joking with a friend of mine and said, everybody says they want to see the creator's vision. Well, that's what star Wars episode one was. That was George Lucas with all the money in the world as my, as long as he wanted it to be anything he wanted. That was his pure uncut vision in which no one would tell him no about anything. And um i i think in the in that case it didn't work out very well though I, i'll tell you that the movie has grown on me over the years mostly just because i think the little annoying things have kind of the, the sharp edges have been sanded down by time yeah, yeah. um but that's a case where someone had all the money and all the vision and all the talent he could have done anything he wanted and that's what you got sometimes you do need an editor to step in and tell you no i think the Cradle comic um Overall, I think is very good. Um, I'm happy with how it turned out. There are a little, you know, I always go back and go, oh, we should have put this or put this here, put this here. But um, I am pretty happy that I can tell people that that that's me and Danny and Monty and Jamie. It's no, there's no like, outs- there was no outside editing or outside interference or like, no, you can't do this because of this. So if you want to know what our imagination looks like, that's as close as I can get to you. Know? <laughs> um, just going back to say where you have seen
1: with the 69 eyes, you were DJ. How did you fall into DJing then? How did that? How did you even get into doing that? Uh,
0: so after Katrina, I had a housemate uh, who was well, more like a, a renter guy that I was friends with that rented a room from me. And he wanted to do a DJ night at this coffee bar that, uh, some friends of ours had just bought, and the place was kind of kind of alternative and kind of like offbeat. And so we were all friends in the goth scene and we had hung out together. We were sort of more of the trad Goth, less electronic. We were into like the Sisters of Mercy and The Cure and Bella Morte and you know, just um any any bands like that, less less so than like um EBM and industrial music. And so he said, well, I'm going to put on a goth a coffee at, th- at the coffee bar that our friends own. And I said, well, can I, can I DJ there? Can I jump in? And he said, yeah, of course. So we started off doing it there and then we moved on to a bar and nightclub. And then we moved to, I think we, we might've had one more move in there. Actually, I'm thinking we stayed at the, the entire time, the entirety of the time I was there. I think we were at the same club, but I think we almost moved a couple of times. But anyway... Um we had a falling out at some point and so I was no longer with them, but I was with another group that I had already started working with at the same time. So the other group corrosion, we started booking concerts and DJ nights and stuff like that and just bringing in some of these bands and footing the bill for it, negotiating booking sponsors from like local businesses record stores and um just, the t-shirt company uh whoever else we could get involved my comic book publisher so um it was a fun time i uh i got honestly i kind of got my fill of nightlife and that's something that throws people off because i used to just be really just an absolute party animal back when i was younger and it's not that i like look back on it ruefully or with regret but i just i got my fill up to here at that <laughs> point and <laughs> So I've seen it. I've done it. I've been, you know, uh, I've been out all night. I've had all the crazy adventure. I've had enough crazy adventure to build a lifetime. And I'm sure there are, there are people that in new Orleans that keep doing that forever and ever. And I especially have friends that come in from out of town where they don't have that kind of thing. And so they're really excited. they want to go hit all the goth bars and just like race hell till five in the morning. And I'm like, I, sorry, I'll maybe for a little bit sometime, especially if um like when Cradle of Filth was in here playing with Danzig uh, a few weeks ago, like I went out, there's a kind of semi-private vampire bar uh, above another bar in the French quarter. So I took them there because it's reasonably quiet and people were not going to like bother Danny or anything like that. So um, I just, I I loved it while I was doing it, but it was kind of like consuming my life and I didn't have time for a lot of other things. We were planning a night. We were putting up flyers on telephone poles and, calling sponsors and just working kind of like in the end, it was like we, a lot of it was we were paying to play. I just looked at kind of the numbers after a while. And I said, we're pouring an amazing amount of money into this and we're not getting a lot back. The, most of the time, the shows come in under because these are sort of small and medium sized bands. Where, I mean, there are big bands in the world of goth industrial music. But New Orleans goth scene is not actually that big, which surprises people. Um, it's like, I would say there's a core of maybe a 100 people, maybe even less than that, and then there's all the people that are sort of ancillary to it, like me, that kind of, yeah, okay, you like that stuff, but you got old and stopped going out, or there's people that are more like, you know, kind of, uh, I guess we would call them like Marilyn Manson kids. I'm not sure if they want to be called that now, but um <laughs> you know, there are people like that that are sort of adjacent to it, where if there's a really big concert, they might come out, but for the core, like, club going goth scene. There's maybe like a hundred people here. Uh there's just so much to do. And New Orleans is not a, New Orleans is a town that's very like um alternative alternative friendly. It's very queer friendly. It's very like you, you really the, the sort of uh the, the meta narrative underlying a lot of alternative people that they're they're sort of persecuted because of how different they are like nobody likes me because I have pink hair. I mean that just doesn't really happen in New Orleans. I mean you have to you'd have to pretty much like throw rocks at yourself or something to find that kind of like, you know, it's like, okay, it might've been that way in a a small town or something like that. But New Orleans is like every third person is piercings, tattoos, dyed hair. I mean, that stuff has become more normalized writ large in the States, especially in the, in major urban centers. But New Orleans has always been very kind of accommodating and live and let live and that kind of stuff. So there's just not that, that whole like, oh, we need our little core group to stick together. It doesn't apply as much. There's just so much to do here. There's a bar on every street, uh, not in every store. I mean, there's like I live in a residential area, but I do have a bar about a couple of blocks away. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah. I love it.
1: Yeah. I, I love how diverse it is. It's great. I, I need to I need to visit. I have to come out and look
0: because yeah. I love. Yeah, for sure. I've always wanted to go to New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. There is a uh, on on the side of the river where I live, there is a proper um, it's a it's not an Irish pub, it's an English pub run by a couple of expatriates. It's not one of those pub-in-the-box like a flanagan things you find in every town. <laughs> it was uh, started by a couple of British expatriates. So uh and they have uh English crisps and um they used to have pole cask ale. I don't know if they do anymore, but um it's a it's a good place. I'll take you guys there if you ever come down. Oh, yeah, definitely. You're on. Quite, yeah, absolutely.
3: So while I was um, doing my research this, I saw one of your books, Tad Caldwell. Did I see it's being made into a movie? It
0: is. Uh they, they filmed it in 2020 during the pandemic. Uh director Laura Duvall managed to pull together um, a low-budget production. Uh, again, it admits very, very trying circumstances. They had to have COVID testing routinely uh, on set and Everything had to be according to protocol. It was done as, um. I, was, I have to specify this, and I'm proud of it. When I say low budget, it is a sag AFRA like union, low budget picture. So it's a real feature-length movie. It's not like a YouTube thing or a student film. It's going to be about 90 minutes, and it'll be submitted to festivals. Um, I don't know if it's going to be in theaters, but then again, what is these days? Unless it's like Top Gun or an Avengers sequel, <laughs> most... You know, in like I have a shutter subscription and it's one of it's something that absolutely pays for itself. There's so much good indie stuff on streaming now that you can just watch movies all day and all night, and never run out. So, um, if it goes to the theater, fantastic. If it doesn't and it just goes to streaming, that'll be okay too because it's in good company right now. All the most interesting stuff is going straight to streaming, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I know everybody envisions their movie on the big screen, it's just it's just is it's a reality of the uh, the industry right now.
3: It must Did you be. Have, like, your... Sorry, Jay. I was going to say, did you have much involvement in the project? So.
0: A little. Uh, I went through and touched up the script. There's a couple of things we had to change because of logistical or budget budgetary reasons. Like in the comic book, it takes place in the summer. And in the movie, we decided to have set it over Christmas break because they were filming in December. And so when they did outdoor shots, there are Christmas decorations on people's houses and stuff. So we had to, there's no way we could have explained around that. So we just said, okay, so it'll be in winter break instead of summer break. So no big deal there. So there was some um, there was certain issues like that that had to be rewritten. Uh, Some things that just, I don't know, like there's a scene in, uh, in the comic where a couple of the characters are eating at like an outdoor table at a fast food restaurant. And so they just Moved into a park and they're just eating at a like a, at a picnic table instead because it's free to shoot at a park or you know something like that. So the it's the script was polished and fixed to accommodate little things like that. By and large, it's faithful to the comic book. Um, so Laura had me work through some of that stuff and then she had me watch casting videos of the various actors. It was the one I knew she was serious because she had talked about making a movie out of it several years ago. But she was kind of just starting out in film, not just just starting out, but doing like just attending her first class. But as far as getting a toe, getting a toll in the industry, um, and she talked to me about it over the years. And then finally, she said, I'm going to do it. Um, Everybody wants to work because of COVID. So people are willing to come out and work on like contingency or work for cheap or however some people just want to help and we will like, I need you to. Brush up the script with me and then go through and watch his casting videos tell me who you like who you don't like and why and so yeah i was involved in that to that extent but i also i made it pretty clear to her um from the beginning i said i'm a comic book writer i'm not filmmaker and that i love movies i'm not being trying to be mean to them or anything but i said this is your this is your deal it's an adaptation of my work so if you have to change something Uh, As long as it's not really obnoxious, as long as you're not trying to, like, I don't know, don't use my movie to go after your Twitter enemies. Not that she has anymore, (laughs) is actually very cool. But I was like, don't put anything like overtly contemporary or obvious or or didactic. Like, let the story teach whatever lessons are inherent in the material. Uh, I said, don't do that. Don't um, just leave the spirit of it intact. And if you need to make like little logistical changes or, changes in the casting then you know i can live with that um so that was that was it i went by set during uh during again this is during covid so i was all masked up and everything i went by the set i brought a stack of the books i handed them out to the actors i had a little sit down with everyone with the cast and thanked them for being there coming out and answering questions and signed a book i had like a little like meet and greet with all cast i did that uh twice and uh yeah it went really well overall i was i'm very happy with it it's not i've seen some of the raw footage uh it's being edited right now by savage light studios in new orleans so it's underway it's just it takes a while you know so it's been in the can for uh i guess a year and a half at this point uh but we're hoping to get it out by like the end of the summer one way or another so amazing it must be so cool to see one of your stories come to life almost it must be incredible (laughs) It's surreal. The first time I saw um, uh, Olivia Worley dressed as uh, Teresa, the Finnish goth girl, that's the kind of uh, one of the the main characters besides Nathan, uh, it was legitimately weird. Uh, I was at a, um, I went to this, um, it's like a gaming, it's a gaming store and they have like, so it's like tabletop gaming, but they also have like a, I know they have like a bar and they have a little restaurant and stuff but it's meant to like people to order food while they play warhammer and that kind of stuff so they converted that into a video store for shooting the film and i just i didn't announce who i was when i went other than like speaking to laura but i didn't like you know tell the cast who i was until i'd been there for a little bit and just walking around and kind of taking it in, especially when I saw Olivia in costume, she didn't see me. She like passed me in a hall and I didn't say anything because it was so surreal. Like it wasn't unpleasant, but it was just like, Oh my God, this, this is a a thing that I came up with. That was based on my life and experiences." not, not too, too much. I mean, there's tidbits of stuff. I mean, I'm not Ted call on the monster kid not a biography. My father is still alive for one thing. And, um, I deliberately wrote Nathan the main character as being um, a little he's a bit of a dim bulb he's not he's not super intelligent he's not a big reader and that kind of comes into into play in the story um, but seeing Olivia dressed up like Teresa and just her, it was it was haunting I guess would be the best way I could put it and Uh, after i got used to it i took it in for a few minutes i introduced myself to the cast when they weren't shooting obviously um and then it was it was much better when i went back the i went back to set a couple of more times it was a little easier at that point because i'd gotten over that initial shock but i uh you know i don't i never wrote comics with the intention of making having them turned into movies i'm not there are comic companies out there and you see them when um Sometimes you'll see where there will be like a spate of like indie, like indie films come out that are based on, or, or maybe not even independent, sometimes bigger studio films that are based on non-superhero comics. Like there's a Grendel TV show coming out from Netflix um, coming soon. And so you hear, you see these times where they like make a pass. They're so like, okay, we've made movies out of all the superheroes or all the ones that like your parents have probably heard of. And now we're getting into the secondary and tertiary stuff. And So I have seen comic studios pop up that are clearly publishing Netflix pitches or movie pitches. And so they'll put out a mini series and it's like, it's like this, but set in the old West, it's like this, but in space. And you're like, this is not a comic book. This is a movie pitch that you just figured that. And, um, you know, some, there are a couple of times there have been some decent movies that have come out of those projects, but a lot of times i And I I don't want to tell tales out of school, so I'm not going to name names because I don't like beating up on other people in the industry. But I've seen at least three studios I can think of that came up and then they would get like one movie made out of like 10 projects. And then in some cases, the movies don't even really do well. So I always wrote comics just for themselves. However, and this is going to sound contradictory, but I don't think it is. I never wanted to make it really hard for them to be turned into movies. So I put a lot of emphasis on dialogue and on talking heads, people talking, people doing stuff that can be filmed relatively cheaply. Um, A lot of stuff, uh, the more special effects heavy type stuff done briefly or done by implication. Um, So like Tad Call was a story where there's some alien scenes and stuff. And if you wanted to, you could expand upon those and you could put a lot more kind of sci-fi imagery or, you could keep it as it is in the book where it's just kind of flashes. It's like people seeing things in dreams and visions of like aliens standing around or, or, or just kind of like sort of psychedelic kind of uh laser light sort of stuff. Um, so it can be expanded upon. It can be made more detailed or it could be kept the way it is in the book where it's very brief. I remember asking Laura Duvall, I said, how are you going to film? I mean, if we're running on like, a very limited budget here are you going to film all the alien stuff and she said have you read your own book recently I mean, <laughs> Like past few years she said there's only a few she said there's only a few scenes like that in there the rest of it is fairly standard stuff it's people talking and going into video stores and um, arguing and you know all, all of it's stuff it's fairly easy to stage with practical effects so I said all right well uh, my trick worked Um <laughs> so speaking of uh, movies that are low
3: budget and lots of talking in it, people that know me know I am a huge Kevin Smith fan. And one thing I learned about you is you had a part in Jane Silent Bob Reboot. Is that right?
0: I was one of the vendors at the um, at in the con scene. And my part is one of the they have a bunch of like bonus footage, kind of like deleted scene stuff during the credits. Uh, you can see me talking to Derek Donovan, who is a comic artist who also lives locally. He's done stuff for DC Comics. Uh, he did the infamous, um, uh, with Green, This the issue where Green Lantern's girlfriend gets chopped up and crammed into a fridge. He drew that. Um, but Derek is still working and he's, uh, he's still active. And he and I are behind a hologram of Chris Hemsworth talking that was meant to be a joke in the movie where when you came into the con, Chris Hemsworth would give you this sort of series of instructions and it was, you know, it's meant to be a lark because he keeps going, well, if you want to go here, go here. And if you want to do this, go here. And if you want to do this and go here, then you have to go there. It was meant to be a kind of like play up the progressive absurdity of the instructions. He's supposed to be giving the attendees and they walk in. So Derek and I are behind it talking. Um, I was in a film called Supercon that came out a few years before that, that was kind of similar that, um, was directed by uh Zach. Um God, Zach's gonna be really pissed that I've forgotten his uh, forgotten his last name, but he did the uh, John Milius documentary. And he uh I'm i in actually a lot more uh background scenes than that. And there's a scene where some characters are like reading my books and stuff. So uh Zach Newton, that's the uh the uh, the filmmaker's name and I'm again Zach if you're watching this I'm really sorry I love you um, I'll keep liking your Instagram posts
3: forgive um, <laughs> so me Santa, no. please.
0: Um, Zach please Zach uh, no Zach's a good guy and he um, he was the guy in Clerks 2 who does the um, the uh, the intimate scene with the uh, the the donkey I knew that end.
3: name sounded familiar yeah, yes that's him.
0: but that that's a sort of uh, an, in comedy we were made to understand through zach uh he explained that it's kind of um when you start off they make you be the butt of the jokes like you when you're coming up you have to be like the naked guy or the guy that like gets dumped in the septic tank or something like that so he said that was part partially had that happen his evolution as a filmmaker was he had to go through the the hazing of doing the really like abusive sort of parts um or to be abused upon. Anyway. um, So yeah, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Uh, I was on set. I was there with a bunch of people. I'm only in the background of that one scene. Uh, Supercon. I'm in a few more scenes, mostly just crowd stuff talking to people and they have a scene where something funny happens. People are like fighting or driving by on a bike or something and a bunch of people are holding up my books. Like all of them are all by me and they all go, and watch something really funny like again, i get it somebody's chasing someone or whatever then they just go back to reading <laughs> um so uh, i did get to meet kevin smith and talk to him for a while uh we took a couple of like hype shots just in holding my stuff i i absolutely love kevin smith's view Askew, uh, the view Askew universe. uh when i saw clerks when i was a kid it was one of those um moments like with Uh, When I first read The Crow and Elf Quest, some of these indie comics in the 80s were they were just it was like, if you want to do it, just go out and do it. Figure it out. Like you don't have to like wait for a Marvel editor to call you on the phone. And in his case, for Hollywood, he just went to he literally went to one of those like. uh, It is a school, but it's not like a university. He went to some filmmaking course he saw like in a catalog or a magazine or something and so he just paid the few thousand dollars and went and came back and then taught everyone else how to do whatever everything he'd learned. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a real privilege and a pleasure to meet him. Um, I'm really looking forward to Clerks 3. So, so I mean, nice. I, that that's one of those uh, movies that it was such a... It made such a dent in me when I saw it that I was happy that the second one was really good. And then I always, like... There's that part where the film just even as simple as it is it always you always kind of want to go back to that damn convenience store even though like it's a story about how two guys are just miserable but all the cartoons all the other there when dante and randall would always show up in the other Askew universe films you always get that little bit of that twinge, that ache of like god we need just more of just these guys like arguing about <laughs> star wars comic books and stuff um you know that's and that takes a special film to do that where you're just like more of this and there's like a play there's like a part of me missing now that there's <laughs> not more. You right know, my my father once told me that he saw Star Wars in the theater in the '70s and he said that. um Uh, He he told me one time, nothing has ever made me feel that way. And he said, every sequel, prequel, whatever that I've ever watched has been there's this part of me trying to recapture the way that movie made me feel in 77 the first time. And I think that's a way for a lot of people. And for me, Clerks is not, obviously not the only, but it is one of those movies, just like the first Crow film and, and like Star Wars and a few other things where it just, it changes you after you see it. And then there's this part of you that just is trying to get that feeling back um, and occasionally, you know, you get lucky, you get a good couple of sequels or prequels or whatever, but most of the time it's kind of a one shot deal, you know? Mm.
3: So obviously I'm conscious of the time. I know you need to get off on one, but if
2: people,
3: list- is if people are listening to this now and they're like, right, I like the sound of this Kurt Amaka guy, i want to go check out some of his books. I know this might be like asking you to pick a favorite child, but what would you recommend as like a prime example of what you can do?
0: Uh, I think just uh, you know, I, I when I started when I finished writing Dead Souls, I was like, I think this is the best thing I've ever written. However, I think that Tad Caldwell to me is the one that people have demonstrated that they like. I mean, the Dead Souls reboot, not the old one, but I think Tad Caldwell is the one thing that people have demonstrated to me they like the most. And I think as far as just a well constructed and kind of appealing and interesting story that's not too like esoteric or obscure. I would always say Tad Caldwell for sure. The Cradle of Filth comic is fun and you can read it without being a fan of the band and still enjoy it, but it's pretty like blood and thunder, penny dreadful fiction. You know, it's got uh lots of violence and vampires and nudity and just that sort of that's not everyone's that's not everyone's cup of tea. Um I uh I'm pretty, but I would say either Dead Souls is my personal favorite, but again, that was again me doing kind of a vanity project for my own enjoyment. I think the Cradle book is definitely if you're a rock fan, music fan, Tad Caldwell I think is the one that is the most balanced and mainstream, and I don't mean that in a bad way because to me the the idea of Doing what I did in that book was a few years before Stranger Things, which is the think that's going to really annoy me is when that movie comes out, everyone's going to say, oh, this is the latest in the 80s throwback Stranger Things knockoffs. Well, I did Tad Caldwell a few years before Stranger Things, and my idea was to do an R-rated take on the kind of kids adventure movies in the 80s. I wanted to do like a grown-up, mature version of Goon, Monster Squad, and then with some kind of elements from Donnie Dargo thrown in where it had like, and I obviously had a science fiction element and element of the fantastic, but it was about those sort of pivotal moments in adolescence where you really cross from being, um, you know, I would say in a lot of those movies is where they cross over from being children to being adolescents. And in this case, more like crossing over from being uh, an adolescent to being a young adult, like an actual, when I say young adult, I mean, like a, you know, 18, 19, 20, not when they say that now, they mean like 11 through 15 or whatever the <laughs> YA market is targeting. Um, but yeah, I wanted to do an kind of an R-rated grown-up version of those. And again, that's not to say that that hasn't been done. I mean, Stephen King did pretty much invented that when he wrote like it, Stand By Me. He had the the same sort of premise, but it hadn't been done in a long time. And I can't even say that I was a hugely like, I I've I'm not like an obsessive about those movies uh, at all. I just, I mean, I've seen like Goonies maybe once. I've seen Monster Squad several times just because it rules, but um, <laughs> the, uh, no, it does. Monster Squad is great. And it's one of those movies, if you get past the goofy premise is actually a pretty solid flick under there. Um, the uh, and, But I remember that those movies really struck a chord with people when they came out. I remember for me, as a child, they were kind of like these intermediary. Like they weren't children's movies, like Disney. And Disney was definitely kind of on a on a not great run in the early '80s. That was when they had like the, the movies weren't landing until The Little Mermaid came out. But they had tried with uh, like Black Cauldron, and there had been a few other movies before and after that that hadn't done really well. But back in the '80s, uh, if you like liked Disney, it was pretty much just as a you know, as a child, it was like asking to get beat up. Like that was kids stuff. And the, but I remember movies like that, those sort of PG and PG 13 kind of kids adventure movies. Like they were, they were such where our parents would allow us to watch them, but they weren't like really, really corny or silly or considered childish. It was like this inner, this sort of bridge to, you know, like nobody nobody looks down I'm like watching Raiders of the Lost Ark or Temple of Doom or the original Star Wars trilogy they were that kind of like okay this this is not childish but it's also still pretty it's got some grit to it and but it's not patently R rated and so um I just not to get too far afield but I had a good idea and I was like I remember those I remember people liked them and I remember that they resonated with me as much as anyone else did so let me just do this and see how it goes and then the book comes, comes out, does pretty well. I move on, didn't think much of it after that. But then Stranger Things comes out and then people, I had more than one person go, hey, it was kind of similar to that Tad Caldwell comic you did. And I was like, uh, yeah, no, I know I should have, I had played with the idea of maybe trying to write a screenplay out of it. But I was like, I guess I missed the boat on that one. I wasn't, I want to be very clear. I'm not um trying to like take the piss out of the Duffer brothers. I love Stranger Things. It was just it was derived from the same well. They took inspiration with the same source material, except that they actually went through with it in terms of a, a television show, not a movie. Um, I'm not saying they stole my idea or anything dumb like that. It was, you know, it was drawing inspiration from the same well, except they actually saw it through. Um, so hopefully we can ride that wave, though. Um, and I'm, again, I'm sure it's some I'll get some snark about how we're just trying to copy it, but it's it's not the case. It was just a uh, an idea who I think I may have arrived at a couple of years early, and then the idea's time came, and now there are a lot. If you go through Netflix. There's a there's a movie called Summer of '84. There's a whole bunch of other movies like that with synthwave soundtracks set in the '80s, and the sort of like neighborhood kids are trying to solve a murder or fight a you know fight a monster or something like that. I think it's cool. I like that stuff. I'm I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're here. I mean, I, I was born in 80 and uh, I'm glad I got to see that decade firsthand, even through a child's eyes. <laughs> so <I'm>
3: jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so before we let you get out of here, and so what have you got coming up? What are you working on at the moment that, that you can talk about?
0: Graphic novel sequel to Tad Caldwell. Uh, I mean, it's being lettered right now. It's got art by JC Grande, who. He's done work for image and IDW before he did a book several years ago called uh, Johnny monster. He penciled a immortal 60 for me, which was a two issue mini that is now just available as a soft cover graphic novel. And, uh, he's done other, uh, work for me in like, I think he did uh, some of the 69 eyes work and he's, uh, come in a couple of times. I needed a, like a cover at the last minute of someone else backed out. he saved my ass a couple of times over the years. Um, but uh carl slaminski who drew uh tad caldwell the first one was not available and carl and i are still friends but he is like 110 committed to developing his own stable of like creator-owned projects and i completely respect that There was doing like animosity he just said no i'm like i'm on this path i've gotta stay here and put out like his stuff's coming out through scout comics he's got a book called cult of icarus that's a, a vampire story that I am going to wait and get the trade paperback because I don't buy many. I do get still read comics, but I don't buy many floppies like, outside of a couple titles. But I'm um, I'm really excited about it. And I'm really happy for the success he's had. But uh, JC had kind of a similar style to Carl. It's not exactly the same, but it had sort of like angular, kind of um, kind of junky style. And I mean that again, not as a pejorative. It's just it's sort of a lots of little details and background bits and, and kind of uh, sharp angles. And so I, I showed it to the original to JC and I said, do you think you can like kind of keep this style up with the understanding that you're not him and it's not going to be exactly like him? And he said, yeah, I think I can handle that. So, okay. Uh, he is in the process of drawing it. The book is about, I want to say about 140 pages or so. Um, I could be misremembering that, but I'm lettering through it right now um, and JC is drawing it. So we hope to have that out by the end of the summer, give or take. Uh, It'll be in bookstores probably. I mean, the comic distribution is really scattershot. There's like Diamond almost folded during during the pandemic and it didn't, it's still around. There's also a couple of other uh, distributors right now. So I need to get a handle on who I need to send this to besides getting in bookstores is very easy that's just a i'm a small publisher i have an account with a distributor but the comic shops are a little different um also the third issue of the cradle of filth mini miniseries Maledict- maledictus athenaeum um i did the bathory aria issue um which is my fictional biography of the sort of cradle of filth version of elizabeth bathory the blood countess not the I want to be very clear. It's not the historic version. Uh, I've been to the castle. I've talked to like the three English language scholars on the planet. Uh, actually, I've talked to two of the three that study her. So I'm, I'm very big into legit history, but this is very much the, you know, kind of like high Gothic, blood bathing, witchcraft, that kind of thing. Um the yeah, album as well. Yeah. Um, oh. it's, it's, my, it's my personal favorite, along with Dusk and Her Embrace. Um, mm-hmm. Although I I have to give it to them. Their um their most recent album is is a banger. They really did a good job with um there's a song on there called uh, how many tears to nurture a rose. And it's just I've told Dan this. It's not like some, you know, I'm telling him tell tales out of school. I said, the album is good. Um I like it a lot, but I said that song is just like that's among the best thing you ever best things you guys have ever put out. So wow. um yeah they just did a video for it too but um it's uh god
3: i haven't it. to checking the new album yet you've just encouraged me to uh get out, get yeah. Out check it out, yeah
0: um it's uh yeah danny like i said is, is a good friend i'm glad i've had as many chances to talk to him and stuff like that and over the years um existence is futile it's the name of the newest album he um he supported my career he's been a good friend he's been you know it's never been just a question of like working together because working together, I mean, it's definitely as an element to it because that's just life and reality. But uh, I would not be where I am without his help and the fact that he just kind of like lent his name and spoke up for me and then you know brought me on board when he could have had anybody come on to do the cradle comic. And then he did it again with this mini series because this is coming out through uh, Opus and Incendium, which is a separate, obviously not my company. And it's an anthology thing. So everybody there's two issues so far, and they've shipped directly from the publisher. Mine is the third issue. And those two issues both had two stories. Each mine has the entirety of the 30 pages. So I got the I got a longer story, which is outstanding. Um, Those have been, they were initially just sold through the publisher and then they got a distribution deal with diamond. So, those the maledictus Athenaeum comics both a, a prestige one that has been shipping from the publisher and a cheaper newsstand variant are going to be in comic shops um starting in um i want to say the first issue will probably be there this month so mine should be there by september um because they're going to come out on a regular monthly schedule so people that are looking for something new if you ordered uh the third issue of maledictus Athenaeum. um I know there were uh there were some delays and everybody's really aggrieved and sorry about that, but it should be shipping uh imminently is what I've been told. And the third issue will be in comic shops. And if you didn't want to pay $16.66 for the uh luxury edition, there's gonna be a regular, like floppy comic book newsstand version in uh in September along with that. So uh, Ted Caldwell, graphic novel, end of the summer, uh, new cradle comic, third issue of, of six. Just This one just by me, out in probably about September, unless you pre ordered. So. And so, then the movie, uh, hopefully, out by the end of the summer. Busy, busy boy. Tom,
1: have you got any questions, my friend? Yes. So, over the pandemic, obviously, I didn't know how many cons did originally, but did you miss doing Comic Cons whilst the pandemic was going on? Like, has it been good
0: to get back? um yeah i have the only one i've done is the uh that shop signing that uh geeky vengeance was at um and i like doing cons i like doing the smaller local cons because people they go to those as opposed to like wizard world or wizard world i think has been rebranded i think it's called like fandom expo or it has a, it, i'm not being i'm not trying to be cute i just don't remember the, what they've rebranded it as but um those things there's uh, larger ones tend to be focused on more like media celebrities. So you have television actors and professional wrestlers and some film actors and some rock stars and stuff. Um, and those are fine, but the people that are there tend to not be shopping for like new and like new independent comics. They're yeah. not like looking for like a bold new creative vision. They're just kind of there because they want to, they want to cosplay and they want to see, these like various media personalities and that's fine. You know, people like what they like, not, I don't, I don't have the energy to, you know, kind of uh, beat up on people for their interests or get into that sort of elitism, but it's just not really the market for underground and independent comics. So I can make, a, do a pretty good signing, pretty decent sales and meet people at a shop signing like for comic book day or one of the local cons that they have around here because people that go in sort of some of them are already fans from having seen me at cons over the years. And then some of them are people that are more likely, they are actually looking for independent and underground stuff, or maybe even if they're looking for mainstream stuff, they want to, they want to buy like a local artists um, drawing or depiction or like fan made art uh, related to an existing media property that gets into a little bit of, that's a little sketch on the copyright side of things. um, But that's part of the reason why, Everything I do is my is mine, or I'm you know hired and have permission to do it and stuff like that. I don't like have you know I don't, I don't sell like uh, fan fiction or fan. I don't even draw, so I couldn't sell fan art. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I do like I do like the smaller independent cons. The bigger cons, I mean, if you can if you've got the money to burn to go do them, they're a lot of fun. Like it's all great to be at the club parties and stuff after. But I've gotten, as I said, my absolute fill of of drinking and partying over the years. Um, I just, I did it, I did it again. And then I did it some more. And I got to the point where, uh, it just isn't as fun for me. And also I I will say with the contentious, uh, climate in America right now, I don't like crowds. Um, I, you know, I used to work for local Homeland security and do disaster preparedness and stuff like that. In addition, I've been in the Marine Corps and, um, crowds uh, scare the hell out of me. And I don't even mean that as a joke, but the the propensity for someone to uh, make an IED out of material at Home Depot, they could very, probably pretty easily get into a con or for a mass shooting or something like that. Um, it just, uh, I'm not saying I'll never do another con again, but it's like concerts. I try to, I do go to concerts occasionally. I'm not saying I never go to them, but I am always cognizant of that, you know, uh, because it's just, things are very, very contentious in the States right now. And you never know when somebody's going to decide to go out a blaze of glory. So yeah. um, that's why I tend to stick to the low to the smaller shows. Um, you know, the big ones, I end up paying more to be there than I make. And at some point it's like, okay, well, if I want to not make money, I can, you know, just <laughs> not get out of bed or something. You know, I can do that for free. <laughs> um, but,
1: Finally, I wanted to ask as well, when you first started writing a first started making comics, et cetera, did you ever think that your life would get to where it is today, working alongside Danny Filth and The 69 Eyes and that sort of thing? Uh,
0: no, but it's, looking back, it, it, I can see how how it was all, I, I don't want to say it was an inevitability, but the, the thing, the reason why I focus on those two bands is that I had my stable of bands that I listened to Uh, Through most of high adolescence, I said I was a big fan of like Bauhaus and The Sisters of Mercy, Joy Division, Susie and the Banshees, Christian Death, the whole thing. I pretty much i i'd I'd gone like this was back when people got into the goth scene in the nineties. You went in like it was like a lifestyle. It was like if you listened to something that wasn't in that family of music, like you had to hide it. Um, You did not want to. You did not want people to see. You're like Nirvana CDs or something. Not that I was a massive Nirvana fan, but it was one of those things. Like, if you were into metal, even if it was like Iron Maiden or something that's, you know, eminently respected, you would still pretty much get made fun of instead of, unless it was like maybe Typo Negative or Rob Zombie. But um, the, uh, so getting into a new band that really took hold of me in both cases, that was, or as an adult, something really really resonated with me in a way that I hadn't in several years. So it wasn't a question of like, oh my God, this is just an opportunity. It was like, whoa, I haven't loved a band this much since I turned, you know, 16 or something. And uh so yeah, it was there and there have been other bands that I wanted to work with. Um the difference is is just we have not been able to hammer out a deal or frankly when you start telling them what it entails, the level of like input and involvement um some of the bands have kind of like chilled on the idea because they're just like uh, uh we can't we don't have time to do all of that i said because i need input from the band i can't just go and i need their participation so it's like okay we need to do x y and z i'm mean, gonna need the band to be available for this this and this and then it turns into well okay we you know we just were hoping you could just bang out a comic and i was like well this and it's okay. Like the people are, if they're not making comics or musicians. So when they find all that out, sometimes it turns into like, okay, this is going to turn into a long-term conversation about how we can maybe get this out. So sometimes like there are people that I haven't written off the possibility of working with. We've talked over the years and it's going to probably be a matter of just waiting for the time is right to do it. Or it's just, okay, it didn't happen. No harm, no foul. Nobody's I'm not mad at anybody deals fall through all the time. Um, so those were just two deals that worked out, but those were also two bands that were transformational. When I got into them, um, I have entertained the idea of working with other bands. I've talked to them, and I don't want to say who, because then it turns into like, I don't want that to turn into a germ of a rumor that something's happening that was yeah. just back years ago. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely happened. I've had some chats backstage and you know, over the phone with people. Um, but I like doing my own work too. I don't want to just be the rock comic guy. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind. I don't mind doing that. I love contributing to music, and I like DJing and promoting. When I was doing it, I was, I was not much of a musician. I uh, played guitar a little bit when I was in when I was a teenager, and I just didn't take to it. But I found that I liked being around and supporting musicians and working on the kind of production and business side of things just fine and being like an advocate for musicians and not just, I was like, okay, uh, maybe I'm not going to be on stage playing, but I can like make sure the concert happens and do this other stuff and like licensing and production and things. So uh, yeah, that's, that's really it. Those are two big, those are two bands that I got into very fulsomely as an adult and the deals also worked out, um, which doesn't always happen. And so yeah, I'm I'm happy about it. I love Danny and Yerky to death, are two of my best friends. And that to me is also just a huge deal to be able to go from being like a super fan to being like friends and talking to somebody on the phone and just being able to hang out. But also when you look back and you okay, if you like something that much, as much as I did, and you, you there's a good chance you may chase it down. You will you will find a way if you like something so fulsomely that you're just like by any means necessary, will I, you know? <laughs> um, yeah.
3: That's amazing. Kurt, this has been so much fun talking to you and learning all about what you do. I think this has been absolutely amazing. Before yeah, we do let me. you go, though, have you got any plugs, social medias, any websites, anything that you want people to go check out?
0: I'm at uh, KurtAmaker.com, darknotespress.com. Uh, Instagram is my name, just Kurt Amaker. Facebook is Kurt Amaker Comics. And Twitter is under my company's name, Dark Notes Press. Uh, I just do. I use Twitter purely for promotional stuff. Just so I've got a book coming out, I don't. Uh, I don't engage. I don't argue with people. And um, yeah, I, I think um, um, the comics industry has uh, become kind of contentious because of social media. Uh, past few years I, I stay out of all of it I just want to like I'm over here just doing my work you know minding my own business <laughs> yeah I totally understand that Twitter's
1: become so toxic it's crazy really? um, yeah Kurt, thank you so much my friend this has been an absolute blast I've enjoyed every single second of it
0: absolutely guys appreciate it
1: same thank you so much Kurt. great right. means a lot thanks, you. thanks. enjoy Talk your day to take too. care sir see you soon bye-bye
3: all right. bye. bye just phenomenal What I I'd absolutely love this it's fascinating I love how passionate he is about what he does like he sold me on those books I really I want to read all of them especially that new Cradle of Filth one all about like their best album they've ever done so yeah, yeah absolutely sold me superb conversation
1: And if he's at a con, make sure you go and see him as well. Make sure you get involved. Just go to where, go to, put Kurt Amaker into Google and hit up his website and go and grab some stuff off there. It'll be very much worth your time, I trust you. Trust me when I say it. Kurt, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. We absolutely loved every single second of it and I hope that you guys enjoy listening to it as much as we did recording it. Mr. Stevens, Hello, sir. It's only
3: bloody audience participation time, isn't it?
1: Lovely. Mm -hmm.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to participate in Jamie's Participation Challenge. This week I said magic. Isn't it magical? Have you ever seen a magic trick and wondered just how they do it? So this week I asked what magic tricks would you love to be able to learn how to do and why?
1: So, funnily enough, me and Kerry started watching Magic for Humans again last night, and just everything just blows my mind. Yeah. Like, how I made his wife appear out of a bag. I'm like, how... Like, I don't even want to ask that question. Um, And it was like he had a magic bag, was just pulling anything and everything out of it. Like, what? Like, how how the fuck? Like, I just don't get it. I don't understand. He put a ring through the bottom of a Pepsi can. The bottom, not the top. Like, Like, I just... It just fascinates me beyond beliefs. So I kind of don't want to know how it works. Yeah, exactly the same. Like, part
3: of me wants to know, but part of me loves to not knowing.
1: Yeah. But any particular trick you
3: might want to learn?
1: No, because no. I think I'd be awfully shit. It's just, no, I'm good. I'm quite happy not knowing. See, there's one trick
3: I've always wanted to know. When I was a, a wee lad, my uncle used to do this trick all the fucking time. He'd have a 50 pence piece... And he just make it appear somewhere in the room. It could be in a box of cereal, behind my ear, over in a bowl, something. And to this day, I don't know how he did it. And I want to know if I'm just ridiculously stupid. And he was like, What's that? And then he just shoves it somewhere. Or he actually could do this trick. And I want to know how he did it.
1: Did he place 50 P's all around his house
3: I before he said that? I thought maybe that. But then I realized I told him where to put it. And it was my nan's house. So it wasn't his house. Next time I see him, I need to, It's one of those, next time I see him, I'm going to ask him, next time I see him, completely goes out of my head. And I always forget. Yeah. <laughs> but I really just want to know how the hell he did it. I just want to know whether he is magic or I'm really stupid as a child. Simple as that, really. Now, I thought we were going to get a lot of normal magic trick answers to this one, but no, the Chronicles fans... Just gave us the most ridiculous answers in the world, and I love them for it, quite frankly. Connor Sinfield says, "I would like to learn how to do the avocado." And you didn't, quite, you didn't understand that one, did you? I didn't think you would. No, nope. it's the death curse from Harry Potter.
1: Oh, that! It, it kills people. Yes. Oh, oh there um, we are. You
3: might <laughs> want to have a word of Connor. Oh well. <laughs> And uh, Jasper Barrett says, uh, I want to learn how to make calories disappear. And me, and, <laughs> me and you, Jasper. Me and you. Uh, Corrie Howes is just channeling her inner snow white and wants to know how to get woodland animals to clean her home.
2: <laughs>
3: fair, fair. I love it. <laughs> Mick Strawn, I want to know how to make my older brother disappear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it made me laugh. Uh, Graham Arnold with a twofer he says uh, first I'd like to make my ex disappear
1: Uh
3: (laughs) and then he said I would love to know how to abracadab a bra take it off one handed like Joey and friends obviously friends come on this (laughs) is two Josh Clark says it's quite a normal one he says I would like to know how to juggle (laughs) it's not only a magic trick but yeah I I don't know how to juggle so fair but I'm looking on that one too (laughs) <laughs> Phil Jolly I would like to make myself disap
1: nice I said what did there
3: <laughs> it's clever isn't it and my favourite two I've saved till last P.R. Brown how to get my wife to say I was right <laughs>
1: <laughs> great answer
3: the greatest answer and the greatest impossible magic trick ever and last but not least, the only person to give us a proper answer. Keris Mansfield. She understood the assignment. I went to a bar in Soho, London. They asked my mum to take out a £20 note from her purse and write her name on it. Then it somehow ended up in the middle of a kiwi fruit, which she cut in half to get the £20. It still had her handwriting on it, on the, and it was definitely the note she had given him. And her mum even
1: commented saying, yeah, it still blows my mind.
3: How the fuck do yeah. people do it?
1: How? He, cut, he must have cut it and taken it and gone, here you go. Oh, maybe. That's the only explanation I could think of. And as he cut it and showed it, it was inside. But
3: oh, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Magician. I, it's like part of me wants to speak to a magician on the show and then another part of me is like, no, I don't want to learn how to do anything.
1: But then when I, they give the secrets away anyway, would they actually well, tell that's you? The point, that's yeah. The thing. yeah, as you know, so it's just... probably get
3: bullied by a bunch of magicians telling you're not allowed to tell anyone. <laughs>
1: exactly otherwise we're um, going to completely kill their industry hopefully yeah but thank you so much to everybody that did share the participation and participate in Jamie's challenge that enjoys Callum's Street that enjoys Tom's journal the interview and all the crap we talked at the beginning and enjoy the other 46 editions of the Chronicles of Podcast available wherever you get your podcasts from It'd Be Spotify, Apple, Google wherever you get them from wherever we're everywhere don't you worry we might, if, if, if it's got a podcast on it we're there uh, you can also come and find us on YouTube at The Chronicles of Podcast. Please hit that subscribe button. That is the most important thing. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the bell to so get notified of when new videos are released. And then leave us comments. Leave us lots and lots and lots of comments. That'd be very nice of you. Thank you very much. Ever so righteously. We appreciate it. You can also find our hashtag WBW way back Wednesdays. Every single Wednesday available on YouTube. Uh, I believe all of our videos are now there. Every single video we've done is now available on our YouTube channel. They're going to be audio from now on. Uh, so you get a, weird, a wavelengthy thing every time we talk. That'd be interesting. Um, you can find us on Facebook at The Chronicles of Podcast. Uh, please hit us, give us a like, give us a share. Tell everybody about us. Go on. Go on. While you're at it, you might as well. Do you know where else you can find us, Jamie? Um, can you find us standing there
3: holding the issue of Crimson 6 saying, buy this?
1: You absolutely can. But you can also find us on the Twitter. At TCO pod. Do you know where else you can find this, Jamie? Standing there holding copies of Dead Souls and saying, buy this as well. Absolutely. But also on the Instagram at TCO Pod. You can also find us on TikTok at TCO Pod. You can also, if you really wanted to, come and find us at ww.thechroniclepodcast.com through our beautiful brand spantly sexy little website. You can find out all about us on there, all our affiliations and sponsors are on there. Uh, all of our episodes and our shows are on there so yeah please make sure you come check that out and uh give just give in to jamie's bike ride for these beautiful lot of you all right make sure you do, keep donating keep donating we are loving it at the moment the chronicles of podcast downloaders reviewers sharers writers tell all of your friends about us allow us interiors but most importantly, when you're 3-0 down at half-time, make sure you give it to Stephen Jones. You can nip it in the corner every now and again. I know he's a manager now, but still, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. As long as you draw or win, that's all that matters. Get those, that point or the three points. As long as you've got them, that's all that counts. All right? But make sure this is at the same time. Then if you go due east, hit up Loftus Road, go past the Olympic Stadium, maybe Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and ask at the same time, you've completed it. That
3: was very lengthy. And it was also the first time I've heard you talk about football in a very long time. Yeah,
1: it's not so much a a thing anymore for me.
3: No, I noticed. Before we get out of here, we have to say thank you to a few of our friends. First off, we have to say thank you to Mr. Matt Roberts. Every single little bit of music you hear on this show comes from... Mr. Matt Roberts. And we love him and we love the music he produces. He just released a brand new single. We referenced it last week. It is now available for you to get into your beautiful little ears. It is called Your Love. Go check it now on Spotify. Go check out all of his social medias at Matt Roberts Music. Give him a little bit of love and tell him we sent you. Then we have to say thank you to Mr. Braden Barry at Stay Cozy Clothing. www.staycozyclothing.com or the Stay Cozy Clothing social media smartphone app that's the words i was looking for there go over there grab one of everything as we said earlier on brand new summer drop and it is incredible Like we're not just saying this because then we represent them on our show it is truly absolutely stunning yeah like literally so many of the things i want the joggers i want i don't really wear joggers i want those joggers They look damn good the caps are amazing i don't wear caps i still want one of them the hoodies t-shirts phenomenal Please, please, please go check it out. Add one of everything you like into your basket and then put that discount code in. The Chronicles get 10% off your order. Our gift from us to you because quite frankly, we love you lots. And tying these two in nicely, as we referenced earlier on as well, Stay Cozy Clothing, they have done their own Sophie Lancaster Foundation t-shirt. That's absolutely stunning. And again, I'm not just saying that because we work with them. It is a stunning design. It says, Weirdo Mosher Freak, the Sophie Lancaster Foundation tagline, go get one because not only is it beautiful and you look amazing wearing it, 50% of the profits made from that t shirt were straight to the foundation. And that's phenomenal. And we cannot thank you, Braden, for doing that enough. That means the absolute world that our our two buddies are working together. It means the world. And speaking of these guys at the Sophie Lancaster Foundation, they're stamping out prejudice, hatred, and intolerance everywhere. And I mean everywhere. They're working to end hate crime all across the world, whether that is in the alternative subcultures, whether it be gender, anything, sexuality, you name it. Hate crime needs to stop. The fact that it's still a thing in 2022 is, quite frankly, bullshit. What are we doing to support them? As we've alluded to several times in this show, 17th of July, I'm getting on my bicycle at approximately 6am and cycling all the way to Stubbly Park in back at Lancashire, where the horrific incident occurred with Sophie and Rob back in 2007. And I, quite frankly, guys, I want you to sponsor me. We are around £350 now. Can we make it to 500 Come on, people. Let's get it to £500. How phenomenal would that be if I get off my bike at the end of this thing and to say I've raised £500 using my little leggies? Phenomenal. That is something I really want to do. So please help me in achieving this goal. And then a little bit later on, In August, the Bloodstock Festival, we will be there supporting these guys. You'll be able to find us outside the tent. And we want to talk to you. If you're at that festival, we want to talk to you all about the foundation, the legacy of the foundation, how that may have affected you, any troubles you may have had if you've been dealt with bullies and horrible stuff because simply you look different. We want to talk to everyone we possibly can. So please come and talk to us. We're friendly fellows. And on the Sunday, we're going to wear pink, so you definitely can't bloody miss us.
2: I
1: don't I oh, and I think that's Of course. It. Thanks to this beautiful bastard. You know? Stop it, you. Stop it. No, it's great. And I, I second everything Jamie just said. So it's amazing that this is Stokoe's t shirt to the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. It's amazing that, you know, Jamie's doing a bike ride for the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. It's to raise as much money as physically possible, please come and donate. Jamie, another wonderful episode, sir. Indeed, I'm still kind of catch my breath. I don't think I took
3: a single breath during that whole <laughs> spiel. <laughs>
1: well, uh, we better get out of here so I can have a chat with you about you wanting to watch Callum crush Walkman through his thighs. Uh, and as for this week, we're going to see you all next week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.